This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Misa. Hi, I'm Trish. We're going to talk about The Star Beast, a novel by Robert A. Heinlein. First published in 1954, uh, serialized in FNSF, Fantasy and Science Fiction, or The Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction. Um, I think it was three issues, I want to say May, June, July, um, in 54, as Star Lummox, which <laughs> has a great appeal as a title, but I can see why they went against <laughs> that and changed it to the Star Beast. Um Lummox is a kind of a funny word. I, I'm not sure um, <laughs> I've used it in the 21st century other than just now. <laughs> it's pretty r- relatively rare. I um, rarely use that word. What a lummox. What right? a lummox. It's, it's a very of, 1950s word. Right? Yeah, it is. It's obviously pre-50s. I don't even know what the etymology is. It's, yeah, informal North American clumsy stupid person. Uh, I guess I guess that can't be that old either. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the uh, what's it called the Google Engram, you know, which is one of the very good things that Google Books did. Engram Viewer, yeah, yeah, and it allows yeah. you to see words over time getting used and becoming more popular or less popular <clears throat> in print. Wiktionary says 1825 East Anglian slang. Wow. Perhaps from dumb ox influenced ah. by lumbering. Oh, oh lumbering, lumbering ox. Lumbering yeah. ox. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. I like the plural lummoxes. <laughs> 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 There's two lummoxes. Um, so it actually fits um, because what does lummox do? Uh, sort of r- knocks things over, breaks things uh, repeatedly, right? That's what kicks off the book. Curiosity, curiosity of Lummox. I, I want to. I'll get into that later before before we derail the conversation. All right. Um, I've read this before. I know, Mysa, you're not uh, vastly experienced with uh, Heinlein novels, right? Other than the ones Cor- we've done. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, how'd you like it? I did like it. I I was surprised how much I liked it. I think it's probably the worst one we've done. Uh, in terms of, it's so simple. <laughs> it's really, really well, simple. Well, but it, but I it, disagree. I like this I, book I, I a lot. I thought it along nicely, and um, and I was impressed generally with that he put a girl in a in a situation where she had some brains and some power, which which you know, is uncharacteristic. Which is, is it, Paul? Is it uncharacteristic? Mm-hmm. Not not uh, entirely, but we've we've read quite a few of his books where there's just no women. Where there's just no female character presence at all. Um, I'm trying what's, to think what, of what, one. What, what's, what's just being a plot driver where Betty is in this book is definitely oh. a plot driver. I yeah. thought I thought Misa was talking about Lummox. No, no. no. <laughs> um, well, Lummox, yeah, Lummox is one of six, six six sexes, and the she that they eventually refer to Lummox with is just a matter of convenience. Um, mm-hmm. Not a, a precise term. Uh, so you're saying Lummox is on the LGBTQ plus S2. You, 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 can't, you can't put... We're applying a meaningless spectrum, spectrum to yeah, love. love. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, that's wow. Just, hot that's take. Here. Trish, hot take. <laughs> Not a hot take. Uh, yeah, meaningless in the context of the Hiroshi. Uh, here's here's what I'm saying. Um, I think there there's some deep stuff going on in here, but it's very simple. And there's a what feels like a massive coincidence, which you know coincidences do happen, but a massive coincidence is the plot uh, that kicks off the story is seemingly incidental to the fact that they've just suddenly figured out where. Uh, Lummox was that that is the aliens, the Hiroshi have finally figured out where Lummox is. Is oh, uh, they're on uh, she's on earth, right? right? Um, but the fact that there's a trial and you know they try to kill Lummox and all that stuff. So, in there's two plot lines one is the basically the UN guys having their meetings and firing each other all the time <laughs> and quitting. <laughs> you can't fire me. I quit 10 minutes ago. Scenes. Um, and yeah. then there's the, I would say the fun, fun stuff, which is all the stuff with Lummox on the run and Lummox in the trial and uh, all that stuff. But the fact that the <clears throat> drama, the major drama takes place uh, at the same time as the, after a hundred years of looking or whatever, they finally figured out where Lummox was. That's kind of coincidental, and so it feels like, eh, not so good. But more importantly, so, it, it puts a focus. So, so, so is that like coincidence? Let me just let me that? let me just finish this thought, Paul, because it, it it all fits together. It puts the focus on the coincidence in a way that says, well, which is really important here? The fact that they're trying to kill Lummox on the planet, and we feel like there's a lot of drama there, or the fact that um, it's really important for Earth. So there's like a micro scale, which is the stuff I care about, really. And then there's the macro scale, where, you know, diplomatic relations between aliens and and the Earth, it's like, which should... By by f- f- changing that focus and pointing to the coincidence, I'm like, eh, this doesn't quite work. But it's still great Heinlein, and it's super fun to read. It's just I don't think it could work any better given the setup. Is what I is is why I'm saying it's probably his weakest that we've done. Well, it's simplistic. Yeah, it's very simplistic. Um, uh, but I don't think that detracts from the fun of it or or the things he's trying to say i agree i'm just saying you know like it it's very simple basically but there are some really interesting things that happen and interesting themes and i i am very interested in the world too because it seems to be pretty utopia compared to a lot of the earths we've seen in Heinlein's we've done so far right it is yeah but when it comes down to it it ain't that utopia right but they're trying, though. Yes, they seem to right. be. But um, there's all sorts of things happening on the periphery that are very interesting. Mm. Uh, yes, so. I was very, very interested by the fact that uh, Mr. Kiko, the diplomat, is really the one who, through cleverness, is in charge of everything. He mm-hmm. uh, undermines the uh, elected representative and uh, manages to get his own way in everything. He's um, the deep state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's kind of terrifying that an unelected bureaucrat is choosing the foreign policy of the entire earth. But at the same time, 
the elected official he was undermining was indeed a stupid and and a stupid man and a bad manager. Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of comedy of errors about this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, 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 I, I yeah. loved those comp- contradictions and complexities and. Um, he had his uh, his delegate uh, Sergey Greens- Greenberg to um, have him someone to explain things to, mm-hmm. which certainly helped. Uh, yeah, so he we was got, the Watson. Right, right. Yeah. So we got a fair amount of tell not show. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I did enjoy, you know, the maneuverings and the explanations of the maneuverings. Um, I'll stop now. I have more to say. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's uh, it's oh, that's all good. It's it's relatively simple, and there's a lot about bureaucracy in here, which is something that is constant with Heinlein. Uh, it's which is I don't uh, think it was that simple. I I I mean, it was way 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 more advanced than uh, Farmer in the Sky, for example. Um, is it? There, there was absolutely tell me. Um, well, uh, <laughs> Farmer in the Sky was basically boy goes to planet and uh, farms and there are tragedies, but he keeps farming. That's mm-hmm. all there is to that story. Um, uh, this, you have uh, you have the um, diplomat species, you have the Hiroshi, you know, demonstrating that threats can come out of nowhere with, you know, no prior knowledge to Earth. Um, you have the... Uh, fact that you now have a central government um the the earth government um and we don't know how it how earth evolved to that hope maybe out of the united nations but we don't really know how that no happened. it doesn't we, we 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 it's, we it's get his tiny, analog we we get tiny hints i mean for example uh i think it's mr ito's gun is said to be from world war four ah uh-huh this is a, that the guy who tries to shoot at Alumix when when he goes anti tank houses. World War Four, which implies a World War Three, which implies this Earth has been through a lot to get to yeah. where it is now. I think yeah. it's the twenty second mm-hmm. century uh, because yeah. So <clears throat> I think you know there's a lot of interesting hints of world building in the background and in the foreground. Uh, and I like the double focus of it on the micro level and the macro level. It, I think it's really, I like stories that show how something seemingly small and insignificant can change the course of, uh, of history in the future. Um, and so I really enjoy, you know, the fact that you get from the, uh, from the, you know, very micro adventure of boy, pet and, and, friend john doesn't even realize that he's a girl that uh betty's a girlfriend um uh boy pet and friend you know escaping in the wilderness you have that plot but you also have these uh ex- extra you know interstellar uh, galactic diplomatic maneuverings um uh so i really enjoy those aspects of the book and i would not call it You know, there are certainly more complex books out there, but uh, I don't think this is too simplistic. Well, I I would only push back to say that the uh, Farm in the Sky is not only about a boy who goes to Mars. It's also about immigrants landing in a place where they're not uh, explicitly um, invited. (laughs) And so there's a lot in there about, you know, volunteering for the society that you're going into versus... You know what the duty of a new society like that is to 
their children, right? There's there's a there's a lot going on in in the in the pushing people off Earth to Ganymede. And, okay, and, and I did like Farmer in the Sky, but um, I think this book has gives you uh, I, I, more to think about. I don't know. Uh, I, yeah, I do too. I, I I like this one better than Farmer in the Sky. I, I, yeah, I'm not even really arguing which is a better book. I'm sort of arguing like which is which is like dumber in a certain sense. Like, um, <laughs> this one yeah. has lots of con- of coincidences and and convenient plot, like you know, putting them together very conveniently and easily. But also, okay. but yeah, also, the former of the sky. Uh, I don't think it has that many. Conven- uh, there is a co- there are a couple of conveniences. One is that you know our hero is a hero because of the things that are put upon him by the author. But another way of looking at that situation is to say, of course, we wouldn't be reading about the other scouts who were sent to that planet because they didn't have those interesting things happen to them. Whereas here, the so it's like w- one of the things that's really interesting is uh, and that's basically what I remembered about this book, Misa. Is like I've read this a long time ago. What was the thing I remembered about it? Is that um, there's a star beast. Yeah. <laughs> it has lots of legs. It's fun. It's uh, the pet of a boy, and that boy has uh, lived with it his, his whole life, and so have many of his ancestors. I didn't remember it was eleven generations. Uh, I guess it's what, not but, but no, eleven no, it generations. His great 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 grandfather, I think it was. Um, yeah. So four generations or whatever, but. The thing I, I forgot was about the all the alien uh, plot negotiations between the two planets. I've completely forgotten about that. I remembered the wilderness <laughs> adventure. Um, but looking at this story any other from any other boy's point of view would be kind of dumb, <laughs> right? So, of course, we follow him. But the focus on Mr. Kiku is it's fun. It's interesting. It's good Heinlein, but it's not. It's it's not really. Um, it, it just doesn't work that great. I think because of the subject that he's tackling, right? So his premise for this book is there's a boy who's been raised by aliens, and then the other thing I'd remembered, Misa, is that there's that reversal at the end. Or yeah. somewhere near the end where we find out, oh, no, no, it's Lummox who's been raiding, raising John <laughs> yeah. Thomas's, which is yeah. great. And and the alien's treating him like a pet. And I, mm-hmm. I, that this is important because it is actually an idea, right? So what yeah. – what, what do there is a science fiction idea. Is what do we think of the relationship between humans, their pets – and yes. our duties and those res- are those are interesting questions. Oh, absolutely! And what does it, and what does it mean to be human, and and how other all these other aliens are also human? Like, what does that you know? Like, I I like those oh, questions I agree. That brought up. I agree. Right, right, because there's the whole thing about sentient aliens, and sentient aliens have hands, and since Lummox doesn't have hands, yeah, therefore it's not sentient. They're right. Right. So, right. so basically, and when you go down the line here, I can I can buy this creature and put him in a museum well what a, who can buy who you know like those are big questions i agree and, and i'm i'm thinking like if if i'm gonna try and prove this idea that it's it's like simpler 
One way I would say is like if we were putting these in reading order for someone who's younger, getting older, and I'm only talking about the juveniles. We've done have space suit will we'll travel. Um, uh, these are just the juveniles I'm talking about, right? Uh, Between planets, farmer in the sky, right? Of those three, oh, and citizen of the galaxy. Of those four and the one today, which one would you put for the youngest person? If you say you're going to read them all, I know you will. Um, which one should um, I give for the oh. youngest person? Is it going to be have spacesuit with travel? Will it be uh, what was the next one? Between planets, citizen of the, <laughs> citizen of the galaxy, or farmer in the sky? I would say maybe farmer in the sky, second or third. Between planets, fourth, and farmer in the sky, somewhere in the in the you know third or fourth. Oh, you you would put this before farmer in the sky. I would. Yeah, I, I, I slightly not. before. No, All the diplomatic I, maneuverings and court stuff would not be good for the youngest that's, readers. That's what one would think, right? But that's what that. Yeah, I, I agree with Trish. It's like, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, the whole Kiku Kiku side of the plot puts this as not the first juvenile I would hand a kid. I mean, it, I definitely hand a farmer in the sky before this. But see, I think you're thinking with the brain of an adult. Thinking about what would be good for <laughs> I, kids. I, yeah, I, I think that the, the Godzilla aspect of this one will draw a kid in. Yep. Mm. And and so the thing is, is what do we? <laughs> indeed, he's a very Clifford, <laughs> the, Clifford the big red yeah. sp- star beast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there is this like, thing. There is this really interesting phenomenon. Like when we think about what kids will like about something, we know instinctively it is the you know ooh it's it's <laughs> we sort of pitch it as it's a big red, purple dinosaur. <laughs> and the kid, uh, and it's like, well, that might be what draws the kids in. Maybe, um, maybe it's the singing ball. I don't know. <laughs> well, what I can tell you, oh, what <laughs> is that? There is this uh, phenomenon, you know, in Barney. I believe there's singing. Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about Paul singing. Well, that, that's a different podcast. <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I was conflating the two for comic effect um but there is a kind of <laughs> paul the big purple dinosaur sing sing along all the big purple dinosaur okay, okay so show. so there's this uh, this fun part about reading a book like this that can be frustrating for a little kid that's the fun part is that they say i hate all this stuff about the negotiations right but they'll eat it and they'll eat it because it's so interesting to get back to see what Lummox is doing and then you get that reunification scene near the end, right? Where mm-hmm. instead of sitting around the table negotiating through a bunch of characters who we can't relate to, who are, get this, the most the most jarring thing in this book is all the ashtrays and the smoking. Like, oh my <laughs> god! This is the most unrealistic thing imaginable today. It's like everybody smoking all the time furiously. Yeah, that. Yeah, just, just and popping pills too. Well, popping pills. Still, people do that, you know, yeah, on I, the reg. Yeah. So, but in yeah. a twelve-year-old book. But that that anticipation of getting back to seeing the the heroes, the only characters that are interesting, is actually what makes you eat uh, I, your I, roughage. I, I, see, you see, you're saying the only characters are interesting. I liked the dipl- the collected. You're an adult. I maybe because I didn't read this as a kid. I didn't read. I this is one of the highlights I missed. Oh really? I, Had you not read this before? No. This this wow. One, this, is one the, this is one of the few highlights I never got around to because I thought 
by the time I did, it's like, oh, it's a juvenile. I can skip it. What about you, mm-hmm. Trish? Oh, I had read it before. Um, uh, one of the many books my dad had around the house. Did you, um, so, did you read uh, it when you were young? Uh, yeah. Um, and how, do you remember how you school, felt about anyway, it? High school, probably. Okay. Well, that that's, uh, high school is pretty late for... I don't know. Oh, I don't it, know. It's it junior high junior school. High. Or, yeah, just, yeah. I junior would be, at, I would say, you know, 12, 13. Um, you have to, yeah, you have to time it right. Yeah, Daddy didn't organize books into juveniles and, and more mature stuff. No, he, but he you, had... you, you know, when you're reaching to the shelf and you see all the paperback covers and one of them has a, a dragon-looking thing uh, that mm-hmm. is letting two kids pile on, on the back. It's got a big smile on its four-eyed face, right? Oh, yes. You're the totally going to go for that versus... appealing cover. Versus a, a Stranger in a Strange Land, a big, thick, chunky thing that, you know, it's basically old man sitting around a pool with his lawyers <laughs> for 18,000 pages, which which is like, there is this attraction to that. So is, what what's so interesting about this book is it's got a... Um, it's got possibly the most fun advent. Oh, I guess there's one more we didn't we didn't talk about. Uh, Red Planet. Red Planet might oh, yeah. be more fun than this uh, for a kid. But other than that, Red Pla- Red Planet has that same Willis uh, dynamic relationship. It's actually pretty much the same story in a lot lot of senses, right? Well, well, yeah, because we can, we, right, because there's a relationship with an alien, and the alien is much more than they seem. And more important it, and that, and, and, and acquired case, the same yeah, way. It's a juvenile, right? Yeah. 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 What's this, Trish? That's the cover I saw. Yeah, that's the one I had, too. That's a good cover. But anyway, so, 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 yeah, as I was saying, Jesse, I mean, I like, I mean, I, I came to this as an adult I just this last week, and I enjoyed the galactic diplomacy and politics i'm not sure i buy his political arguments especially about democracy mm-hmm. but i because because he, he's very much it feels very much like those types of people these days who say we're a republic not a democracy sort of things like you can't <laughs> put everything to the people sort of uh, sort well, of approach and we have as trish i think it was trish points out we have an unelected bureaucrat basically running foreign affairs for the for the world and running circles around his elected superior. Mm-hmm. Well, but as a as a I, federation, the United States is a republic, right? There, uh, there's all sorts of. Don't, don't even get me on that. Uh, no, I, no, I'm just saying. As, but this isn't the United States either. No, it's not. The uh, now there is a, a really interesting aspect that I think is important, and it makes it more dystopic than the utopic part. Right. One of the things that comes up again and again in that politics end of this book is. Yeah. It, we are the leading nation, says mm-hmm. the guy over the elected politician over and over again. And we have senators from all over the planet. And so maybe it is, you know, the United, which is one of sort of Heinlein's ideas is, you know, the United States of North and South America. We see this in Starship Troopers, right? Um, if that plan can extends to the entire planet, there's going to be a senator from Canada and a senator from Japan, right? And we have a lot of that stuff sort of hovering in the background of the town as well. This is probably set in Colorado or thereabouts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found I found that I found that interesting, the whole landscape about how by basically how the freeways have basically been overgrown mostly. Because everybody flies everyone, around. Because it's it, because people have flying cars 
And I got the sense, I don't know if you all got the sense, that this North America has a lot less people than even 1950s United States. I think population went it down feel like that, a yeah. lot after. It's, it's probably just where we are. In, for the most part, we're in smoky, smoke-filled rooms and small towns, right? But right. – uh, yeah, I, it, it doesn't feel overpopulated like it does no, in farming. It's described as basically that that the, the all the open country and stuff. It's like this feels even emptier than the United States is was then. It's like what happened? I get it's like it's not enough world building because you know this is a juvenile novel and Highlight's not going to spend two hundred pages explaining it. But it's like what happened to the United States to make it that way? Was it? But I mean, we cl- we clearly have atomic weapons. We've had them, and they've clearly been used because they're threatened to use them on Hiroshi. And they talk about, oh yeah, that's the best weapon there could possibly be. And then the, the one guy says, "Are you nuts? Like, of course they have better weapons. They can have refined it better." So I wonder what happened in those two world wars to change change America and the world to what it was. I kept thinking about all that sort of world building, and just being in the heads of the diplomats. I kept thinking about it more when it was on the adventure, not so much because you're follow, you're, follow, you're, you're you're following Johnny Lummox and Betty, and they're they're wandering around having all sorts of weird adventures. But when it was in the heads of the diplomats, I kept thinking about how the world worked and how it got this way. Yep, uh, it's it's actually well done. I think there there's a really interesting, really 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 interesting theme. I think. Um, but, uh, I think it might, uh, there's a, a lot of cool things that Heinlein does that I'm very impressed by and all the Heinlein haters and there are Heinlein haters and I understand why you would want to hate, hate Heinlein, but they're hating him for the wrong reasons, um, are, are in this book, there are all these things in this book. So Mr. Kiku, um, if you guys saw my Twitter, I guess not everybody saw it. Uh, I went through the original FNSF serialization and pulled out all the pictures and put them up. Mr. Kiku is pictured. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that. It's on. It's on Twitter. Um, I- the pictures aren't amazing, other than a couple of the covers are are good. Um, Mr. Kiku is pictured and not a black man. Now, really? yeah. Now, in the text, um, he, even in the uh, text of the original serial, which is slightly abridged, at least. Um, we're told, uh, it's very clear. He is a black man. He's woolly haired. He's, uh, from Africa in the text. It it wasn't changed in the FNSF and people were speculating as to why this was, was this, uh, racism? (laughs) They couldn't, people couldn't handle it. And Heinlein's just so advanced. Um, and someone else on one of these threads pointed out that, Oftentimes, the artist is told what the book is about and what scenes they should depict and not don't have access to the text or just don't have time to read the text because they're illustrating all day long, right? And there was no audiobooks back then, um, and especially before a book comes out, right? So that is very possibly the explanation. He just assumed that <laughs> it was a but, generic but that's, white that's guy. That's kind of damning in itself. He assume, oh, he assumed he must assume to be that. That's kind of damning. I agree. Of culture and society at that time. No, mm-hmm. no, it's not. That's that's capitalism. It's not. It's not racism. Um, um, it's. I mean, if you thought racism. about it, you could assume right. that the name Kiku was not 
white bread American. But he, he the, the pictures don't say Mr. Kiku does this. You just see a bunch of people arguing at a table, right? <laughs> <laughs> so there's that, and they all look like generic guys. But more importantly, um, to back this up, another thing that's very interesting is that the Lummox, who you would think would go on the cover of any book, and obviously did go on the cover of every subsequent book, except for the ones where they have no pictures at all, which is fucking unbelievable. Try and make make a kid's book with no fucking Star Beast on the cover? <laughs> fucking idiots. <laughs> Anyways, uh, in this, uh, the second um, part, the second installment, they've got uh, Johnny... Um, and the slugger and the mm-hmm. two spaceships are flying things that pull up trees, uh, in the mountains, that scene, right? Mm-hmm. And you look, looking all over for Lummox. Lummox is there, but you only like see two legs and like half of a side. Never in any of the illustrations in the original, uh, serialization is Lummox pictured. Why it's is that? It's a really bizarre choice for an illustrator. It's like he couldn't decide how to depict it, so he just dodged the question. I believe that yeah. that's exactly what it is. What it is right. is this is a commercial production, and the person telling them about it is like, "There's a star beast, but it's kind of hard to explain what it looks like." <laughs> and and if you look at all the different depictions of what the star beast looks like, and I agree, Trish's one with a smiling uh, dinosaur. <laughs> beagle thing uh, you know it's green uh, looks great uh but there's there's ones where it looks more like a, a train uh, and there's ones that you know look make it look like uh, very spindly arms you, the arms there are not so spindly right there yeah one of them just looks like a diplodocus basically yeah a diplodocus is what i like to say <laughs> diplodocus diplodocus i no, no, I made I made a diplodocus costume for my niece when she was going to go out for Halloween. She went. She, I said, "What's your favorite dinosaur?" And she said, "That one." And went, oh, diplodocus. Okay. Oh, there you go with the voice. <laughs> that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, that, that was really just. I know it's true to the text, but that was really distracting during the reading. Oh, really? Here. You didn't the, like that? The, um, I know it's the baby accurate, girl voice. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the we we listened to the full cast audio version, which is a great company. Uh, too bad they no longer have Heinlein to license. Yeah, it, yeah, I thought it was a really good uh, uh, full cast production it was, of it. It was fun, yeah. I think they I think they get the same actors over and over again. So we've had this John Thomas B, all the other Heinlein boys as well. <laughs> in previous oh, well. ones, it's it's good, and the girls probably all the Heinlein girls, which is fine because basically they're. The same sort of characters, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Except, um, Except, I loved, I love Trish. Uh, this this stuff was really cool. Um, the the you were saying he's oblivious or something like that to her her plans. Actually, it's um, she's got a uh, she's got a dominant role, and somewhere in the text, I guess it was Greenberg or somebody saying, basically these these uh, gender fashions flip every once in a while sometimes it's cool yeah, for the that girl was to interesting. be interesting cool for the girl to be uh chasing after boys and most of or and the other times it's not right so it's like this is Sadie Hawkins dystopia or utopia right <laughs> in a certain in a certain sense right 
Um, oh, there's a there was a funny. Um, I think it might have might have been in Star Trek or something where they said on on leap years, uh, girls are allowed to propose to men. I'm like, what? Yeah. I never heard about that before. Maybe it was in uh, the Heinlein book. Oh, it's not just Heinlein. It's, it's no, it's no. I'm saying that's where I'd heard it. Um, uh-huh. No, because because they mentioned in a Star Trek Next Generation episode that Data was asked to dance at a Sadie Hawkins dance in Next Generation, and he was declined. Sadie Hawkins knowing, dance yeah. on the Next Generation. Yeah, I didn't talk about wow, what a high Hawkins school dance. show. No, no, but but basically back in Starfleet Academy, basically we're referring back to Starfleet Academy days. Star Trek: so. The Next Generation, nine hundred two one zero. So well, weird. It, it was a very strange reference. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, well, I guess that makes sense. He went to Starfleet. Yeah, it could have been something like that. He went to Starfleet. I, yeah, Starfleet Academy. Wow, weird. Um, so uh, there's a couple other things that's really cool. I love. Uh, this is why I love Heinlein. Is um, he, he sneaks upstairs to his attic? Uh, he's got a special phone rigged up in there because he's you know boy trying to you know uh, just have a fort basically. Um, and inside his safe, he keeps his important papers, including a box of books that boys somehow always get, um, but never talk about with their parents. I'm like, he's talking <laughs> about pornography, right? Yeah. <laughs> And this is a book for little kids. And he put it in there. He didn't shy away from it. Heinlein doesn't yeah, shy what, away. What about, what about the name John Thomas? <laughs> all of John Thomas's. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, John Thomas. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty, uh, I mean, on the nose. And, yeah. I, I, and I found interesting because they go through the whole recitation at one point of all the different John Thomas's words. The mm-hmm. one that where where the mother changes their name and then he changes it back to John mm-hmm. Thomas and mm-hmm. changes the line. Mm-hmm. I, I found that like very strange. It's like very strange and weird. Like the no, that, that's, that's so cool, Paul, that the, the, there is the macro micro. The, this is a, also a princess of earth sort of story, right? Where there's <laughs> this uh, princess on another planet been kidnapped and, uh, it has to be rescued by. It's a reverse of that, right? But she doesn't want to be rescued. She, she she's very happy raising John Thomas's. Well, yeah. she has to retake her duties and you know do whatever yeah, six way marriage keep, she has to, to do to. Uh, it's a Quisette Satarac situation, right? Where these eugenics breeding thirty two thousand year old plan to create mm-hmm. the perfect s- space mm-hmm. beast for being. Yeah, <laughs> perfect <laughs> space beast, uh, which is. <laughs> Perfect star beast is all all going in, and the breeding of John Thomas's is kind of like a, a a kid's version of what their parents are doing, you know. So that's really fun. But uh, I love, I love, love, love this amazing scene, Trish, where out in the woods, she they're down by the creek, they're sort of wrestling around, like it's 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 like they're gonna have sex, but they didn't quite, right? Um, they're just holding hands in the next scene or whatever. But she says, did I ever tell you why I divorced my parents? And I'm like, yes. oh, why? I didn't remember this. So I like, mm-hmm. I lean in closer to the book right, and say, what? <laughs> what's the reason? And then she whispers in his ear. And I'm like, is he going to say what, what she just said? No. Yeah. And no, so I'm I, like. I, I had some really dark ideas about how that went. Yeah, I, I have an idea what, she, what the parents did that was so wrong. Uh, what what was your idea, Paul? 
Um, I, I, I went to a really dark place. And I was thinking like parental abuse. Yeah, it was parental abuse, clearly. What was it, though? And, and, and possibly, possibly even molestation or something like that. Because, because, because the way it's framed around and the way they talk about it and how, how it was granted, it says like, boy, her parents really treated her badly. I was – yeah. Now, now, we don't have enough cultural context because there's not 600 pages of the novel to really understand how divorce works in this world and, like, how often is it granted to children. But I thought it had been something pretty... It, it comes bloody, up more uh, than once in the story, right? So, you know... And, that, and, right, because, because, because it suggested that John will, right. could do it because... And rightly so, that mom mother. is kind of... Uh, kind and, of and yeah, with yeah, those woolen socks, that's enough. Making them wear wool socks. <laughs> the, 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 mother, the mother character. I didn't like John's the, the mother character in in the story. I don't mother. think she was I, supposed to be likable. No, no, no. no. I, I, I mean, I mean, when, I didn't like how one note she was. She was. She was. She wasn't I, wholly one note. There were some scenes where she sort of she she no, felt yeah, a, a little manipulative even in those scenes. But um, she is very manipulative, and especially when she gets to the capital and has the scenes with Mister Kiku, and she seems completely one hundred percent manipulative. Like, oh, John's not going to do this. John's going to do this, 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 and this. It's like, um, God, you're an awful. Well, she, woman. she had she had terrible plans from the outset. Mm-hmm. Many I mean, many I, people do, like, though. <laughs> That's the she, kind of realistic part of it. I didn't find her to be a straw a straw person like many times. Heinlein. I don't think there was any no, real straw, straw people. Person. in She's here. not a straw person. She's, um, just, she's just a very parochially closed minded and controlling selfish. and manipulative. Uh, I kind of know about parents who are controlling and yeah. manipulative, so yeah. you know. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Paul. I'm just saying. It, it's what's interesting is there's some parallels between her and Betty, which we shouldn't like because we don't want Betty to be like her. But that's Betty's job is to make more John Thomases with with uh, Star Beast in control, right? <laughs> in a certain sense, that's what the marriage scene at the end is for, and mm-hmm. th- that's part of the plan. And it was my plan all along to marry Johnny. Of course, it was. Um, he doesn't know about it yet, but I'll tell him right before we take off. Blah blah blah. <laughs> So, even though before early, um, she mentions that she t- she tells Johnny knows she's not interested in him. It's a lie. It's a clear lie. When I saw it, like, oh yeah, they're gonna get together by the end. Yeah, <laughs> really, like she she's lied through her teeth. Yes, maybe even partly to herself at that point. What what, what I really liked, and I want to ask, uh, uh, well, I guess both Paul and uh, Misa, um, since you'd never read this before, when you first heard about Betty and she was living in a dorm, what did you assume? I was thinking college. Of course yeah, you were, so, right? Yeah. That's Heinlein manipulating us. Yep. It, 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 yeah. Because we don't yeah, find yeah. out the real reason. It's, it's, where... more, it's, it's, more, it's more like the YMCA in a way. Uh, yeah. But, Obviously, but, but, it's some but, but, institution. But it's, it's also weirdly controlling because like, she's not allowed to call after a certain time. and mm-hmm. it, it felt like a very – I mean, like, yes, she's divorced her parents and yet she's moved, maneuver, she's not moved herself to complete – Independence. She's moved herself into a different sort of. Well, I guess they're both minors, minors, right? So she's she's a minor. That's right. right. But we, we, when we find out by that point in the story, we're sort of figuring out it's like I, I, even I'd read this before. Trish, did you remember that that was the reason she was in a dorm? I did not. Well, mm, 
maybe if I had thought about it, yeah. it certainly was not at the top of my mind. No, it's not. It was. It, it's very skillfully done because she seems like she knows. Uh, she's feels like she's studying law, right? And one of the things we also hear about uh, what Johnny was taught in school is. Um, you don't have to obey uh, a police officers unless they have a warrant. I mean, I'd love to go to that school. I didn't learn that <laughs> at school, right? It, right. That uh, should well, be the number one thing they teach a kid. Thing. I'm pretty sure there were plenty of people who uh, had better uh, obey police, whether or not the police have a yeah. The police uh, come know, to the school and they teach a class to harass them. <laughs> they they yeah, teach I, a class I, 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 and then they search I your mean, locker. It, it's um it's unfortunate or so unfortunate that we list I listen to this at the same time that a high profile case is going on right over in Wisconsin right now and I, I and the 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 antics and I use that word deliberately of the in the courtroom here really felt weirdly resonant with the antics of the Rittenhouse trial especially on the part of the judge in the case of the Rittenhouse trial here on the case of basically Betty who basically bamboozles the court over and over. That, I mean, at first she's I thought, a good lawyer. Like, she's not a lawyer, really. No, but she's but counsel. It feels, it feels like she's using manipulation and tactics rather than actual law to try to get her way. It's just but like, she's, yeah, but she's kind of parallel with uh, Kiku, though. Yes, yes, she, she, yes. yes I, I did catch that. Yes, she is basically playing that on a, on a smaller scale, on a smaller scale, rather than for galactic politics. Right. Well, clearly she had to learn legal tactics, or at least how to make her arguments seem like legal tactics for her own emancipation. Yeah, she was her own lawyer. She was her own lawyer, and she's she's had this this relationship with um, the like the police chief. Mm -hmm. Like that's all must have been part of her trial too. I think that that's so bad with him. Yeah, that's really important. One of the things that happens is Johnny sort of gets on with the police chief after they have a little tussle about what. They're going to do breakfast or not, right? And then they, the mom's making toast and eggs and coffee for all the officers. And everything's going along. Don't get in bed with the cops. <laughs> do not get in bed. With, and she, sh- she was like, Johnny, you don't sign anything. You don't do this. You don't do that. I'm your counsel. Mm-hmm. Right? And she's right. She's wholly right about that. Now, oh, 100%. Now, the thing is, is Johnny's a little bit dim with regards to that. Um, he, we're told he's going to go to college. He's going to go to college. He's going to go to college. Um, I'm not sure it's he's college what? material, <laughs> right? He's not that in. He seems he seems to be into, like, you know, drag racing and hanging out with his, his uh, pet. Um, but he's not. He's, uh, he he kind of likes uh, the girl, right? That's cool. Um, well, but, he's kind of the pet of three females. In this <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With all, all with different ideas with them, although Lummox and Betty kind of line up. But yeah. yeah, Trish, Trish, what did you think? Uh, she whispered into into Johnny's ear. Did you have a thought? I hadn't gone to um, uh, sexual molestation, but I did think that perhaps she was starting to express interest in in sexual things and her parents uh uh i want to get the pill or something down. like that right i want to get the pill <laughs> and the parents are like never we're religious right <laughs> <laughs> you're never getting married <laughs> yeah or for that matter maybe she wanted to study law and they wouldn't let her who knows but definitely i thought that they were 
preventing her from doing something that she wanted to. Mm. But maybe Paul is right, and they were uh, actively well, we'll never, maliciously harming her. We'll never know what the truth is, uh, although maybe we can argue our way to the truth. Um, Misa, did you have a, a thought? I, to- I, uh, I didn't go to uh, such dark places. Maybe uh, because now that you say about the whispering, maybe they did. I, I just thought that that she was uh, mentally a beyond them and like they were parochial and 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 uh and she was like just leaps and bounds ahead and and didn't want like they were tying her down in some way um but maybe maybe it was more sinister than that i i feel like it would have been poor tactics on her part to tell johnny i divorced my parents because i was too smart for them Uh (laughs) (laughs) well yeah that's a good point against her doing that because she wouldn't tell him that <laughs> no <laughs> right yeah but it's but it was beyond being too smart like like you know you can your ideas can be so subversive that they can ruin your life that's uh, that's what i think thing. it is so the thought i had obviously i didn't have this thought when i first read it years and years ago because it wouldn't have popped into my head at the time um but i thought i thought she she whispered into johnny's ear I'm transgender. <laughs> now, the reason I thought that is not just because there's that flipping of the gender quite late in the book, right? Where we, well, I guess, I don't know, maybe a third of the way through where we start realizing, oh, uh, Kiku and Greenberg are really dumb. And that's another reason kids would like that section because they would have been, it's the same creature. <laughs> <laughs> the one they're looking, the Roshi are looking for Lomax. It's obvious, and it takes them a really long time to figure that out. So the kids—that's would... kind of fun for kids. That's yeah, that. no, that's yeah, totally yeah, fun. Yeah, I mean, this is deliberate obfuscation of, of for for the characters of is the creature the yeah the the, the, the person the Roshi is going for. I think kids can figure out pretty easily, quickly, like oh yeah, and be happy it's about real, it. That's right? really target to see these. These people, so, but they're looking for around. a girl. Yeah. They're looking for a girl, and this Lummox is a boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but that's that, that's exactly of... the same thing that happened in uh, Red Planet. Willis, boy, here, here, boy, right? No, Willis is a girl. <gasps> Shocker, <laughs> right? And I said, "I'm here. I'm a boy." Says Willis at some point, even though Willis is clearly a girl, right? Because of that. Uh, that relationship and the language, all that fun stuff, the idea of her being uh, originally a male is interesting. But the problem is, is they're not going to be able to breed John Thomas's very easily unless they have some technology that we don't have. <laughs> if if she's a if that, she's that, that a genetic that work male, so well. no, that, it that, doesn't work so well. However. Um, there, there's actually quite a few little things about that. I was even thinking about her name. One of the things he, he actually never calls her Betty. He always calls her Slugger, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. is a pretty funny name. Is like, she like always hitting people. And I think she does hit people or is it, was she on the baseball team? You know, like what there's, there's no animus there with, you know, he's saying it because he's mean. It's just his name for her. Right. And right. he does yeah, insult I her looks. A slugger is like a power hitter. Yeah, yeah, it is, right? She, I, I didn't think of her getting into fights. I just thought of her, you know, she says what she wants and gets it. Um, 
or she sometimes hits the she doesn't say what she wants, she but hits she has goals and she hard. goes after them and gets them. Yeah. So maybe it's really just a term of respect for how strong she is. It is definitely a, a term of respect. He doesn't treat it like, like there's no um, hidden agenda inside of Johnny, right? He's very simple Not inside boy. of Johnny. No. No, <laughs> no, no. no, no. Jo- jo- Johnny, Johnny, Johnny takes some time to figure out his own agenda. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, jo- Johnny he just gets stubborn for a while. By the plot. I wa- now, I've, I've, mentioned, I've mentioned Farrah Mendelssohn's book before, but I want to quote from it here again because she writes about Heinlein in the the pleasant profession of Robert A. Heinlein. So she talks about – when she's talking about the Starbeast, I didn't really realize this at the time, but now reading it makes perfect sense. There is a movie, Jesse, that you could swap some of these characters for. What's you know what that? movie that would be? Um, American movie, I'm, I'm guessing. Star Wars. Lummox is R2-D2, John Thomas is Luke Skywalker, Mr. Kiku's Obi-Wan, and Betty is Princess Leia. For all, as she said, for all that thinks that he's in charge, he's being shepherded in the right direction by every other character. Okay. Which is what happens to Johnny. He gets just pushed around by everybody in this series. He is Luke Skywalker. He's kind of clueless. He's kind of only interested in sports and dumb things. Things. Uh, I don't like, know. Is he interested in sports? He he likes his helicopter jetpack thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he what? <laughs> he's well, uh, the, he might be interested in baseball. They have a. They have. It's actually depicted on the original hardcover. They have um, helicopter jet. It's not well, really yeah, a jetpack. It's a personal yeah. transportation device. That's basically a a backpack helicopter. Okay. It's mentioned in the book. It's just they don't focus. Like when I when I thought when. When Betty arrives, right, when she arrives in the forest, that's actually how she arrives. It seems mm-hmm. like she's in a uh, car, a flying car yeah. or something, but it's not. It's the same thing that he had that he was considering selling when he, Mr. Ito's greenhouses were damaged, right? It, it won't cover right. it, he thinks, but it was it was something he had saved up for. And and it's, you know, it's like skateboards, basically, space skateboards or, <laughs> you know, hoverboards or whatever. Um it's the personal transfer. Oh, he had had a car too, and and the the <laughs> his his <laughs> horse. I want to say horse ate it. Um, in fact, uh, remember there is a in another book. Uh, what book is it? There was a horse that. Um, oh, is it Will showing up? It's yeah, I um I think you told me that we were going to change the time on this one, and then uh-huh. we didn't change the time on it. Uh, yeah, I changed it and then changed it back. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, you have to tell me if you're going to do that. I did that. I just did it very late. I'm sorry, uh, Will. Oh, it's okay. I, I, I caught a little bit of the conversation about about Betty Sorensen and then got embarrassed and left and then came back. Wow. So. Okay. Uh, well, I can see why that I, I would be will. embarrassing. Hey, um, I'm... Uh, have we talked to Paul in the Lummox voice yet? Hi, Paul. <laughs> Will, you're here 15 seconds and you're already trying to trigger me. Wow. Wow. Why is that, like, why is that so it, triggering? Does that trigger you, Paul? Yes, it does. Wow. It uh, did you have a bad experience as a child with lummoxes? No. <laughs> 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 it's a touchy subject. Let him whisper it in your ear by a river. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I guess I guess Paul divorced his childhood lummox, and um, it's it's probably triggering. I think, I'm sorry. I think this book would be great to hand to a kid whose whose parents are divorcing. Don't you? 
Or yeah. who, who wants to divorce their parents. Yeah, no, no. Or any sort of, like, uh, family trauma. Because everybody's independent, right? Uh, our hero has to get independent from his mom. And he eventually, you know, struggles free from her. He decides to slip out in the middle of the night, run away. Uh, Betty has already done that. Obviously, I think... If we look at the the journal entries and what we hear about the original John Thomas, um, he didn't kidnap that little creature. It yeah. adopted she him. She came to him. Right? Yeah. She emancipated herself from, yeah. the, mm-hmm. from yeah. that horrible future. Well, you know, she wanted to go get some yummy metal to eat. <laughs> uh, need some plastic and, and uh, self-heating cans. And this guy has lots and treats her right. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of an, a, a getting yourself free. Um, but on the other hand, there's all the entanglements. This uh, st- The Star Federation trying to make these people have diplomatic relations with them. That's, um, I- I'm not sure it's, n- it's not that great a utopia. We've got a, one deep state guy who's really good, uh, Kiku, but... Everything else about it seems like, ah, why do you have to have these special diplomatic relationships? Why don't you just, like, leave everybody alone? But I guess that's bigger than the scope of this book. It's sort of the inescapable bureaucracy of civilization is how I saw it. Yeah. Well, when when Betty whispered into into Johnny's ear uh, by the river, um, this is the reason I divorced my parents. What was your thought as to what she was saying? I don't know. I thought it was going to be a bigger plot point later. Like it was going to come up and like explain like why something was happening. Like uh, John Thomas would remember what Betty whispered to him and know what he had to do or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, mm. maybe yeah, he I don't did. know. Maybe he did. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's I like. Um, I mean, whatever it was, I, you know, I feel like her parents didn't stand a chance. Um, (laughs) I I mean, it's also, it's also weird to me that it's something she like, like, you know, stood up and said in open court, but we don't get to know it. Yeah, that's, uh, that sort of leans into the, um, idea that it's, it's deep and dark and secret and terrible, right? But uh, there, there, that comes up a number of times where there's, there's actually a like a little aphorism uh, or a little song that starts and then we don't find out what the next line is. And I'm like thinking, oh, that's because it will burn the ears of the editors. Heinlein wants to share everything that people don't want to have shared, like the fact that pornography exists and uh, gay people exist and black people exist and all that stuff. He wants to share it, but, you know, it's 1954 and not everybody will have it. So he hides well, stuff. And the tone of this, the tone of this novel is like, like you don't like the tone of this novel is such that you don't think that Betty has like a deep dark secret. Yeah, it, it, whatever the deep dark secret is, it doesn't hurt Johnny's feelings, right? It's just so. My my theory was that she was saying she wanted to be a boy. I wanted to be a girl. She was originally a boy. Um, and the parents wouldn't have it. I don't think you have any 
uh, evidence for that, unless you just other than I look at the meta plot, really smart or strong willed. <laughs> no, the meta plot. The I'm meta pretty plot. Sure you don't think that, Jesse? <laughs> no, it's the meta plot stuff. So the fact that we're always seeing this happening. And by the way, I was going to mention this. Her last name Sorensen. Um, so one of the things that Heinlein was—he's been Heinlein's always been interested. I didn't know that when I was young. But it seems always the case that Heinz always very, very, very interested in gender, um, uh, mm-hmm. not just because of um, you know his uh, you know needing to go to the doctor to find out why he he's shooting blanks, but also because it's just something he's very interested in. He's interested in a lot of things, but um, switching genders on characters happens a lot in Heinlein. Um, um, yes, Lipstick Libby, the whole plot of I Will Fear No Evil. Yeah. yeah. Well, but you it, know what? Maybe you're right, Jesse. It goes on and on and on. In fact, yeah. it, it, it almost seems like the most plausible thing. The whole slugger thing now. Now yeah. I'm looking at everything in a whole new light. And like maybe John Thomas knew this. Like, like he's like, oh, yeah. So she whispered it like, oh, oh, that's why. Like maybe that's not news to him. So I'm trying to remember the character, the person's name. There was a very early, um, the, ver- the earliest example of a public uh, transgender situation in the United States. I believe her name was Jorgensen. Um, you guys know about this? There, there was a movie, uh, transgender. Um, it was, yeah, sure, no, yep. Uh, here it is. Christine Jorgensen. Yeah. Uh, um, so I'm trying to remember the name of the movie. Um, it was pretty early movie for that. So Christine Jorgensen, May 30th, 1926 to May 3rd, 1989, was an American transgender woman who was the first person to become widely known in the United States for having sex reassignment surgery. Jorgensen grew up in the Bronx, uh, graduating high school in 45, drafted in the U.S. Army. After her military service, she attended several schools. Uh, it is during this time she learned about sex reassignment sur- surgery. She traveled to Denmark um, and had special permission to have a series of operations beginning in 1952. Um, and uh, she, there is a movie, I'm trying to remember the name of maybe it's listed here. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty sure that this is why her name is Sorensen. Hmm. It is like basically it rhymes, but but okay, okay. So even if you buy that though, then that kind of deflates the whole breeding program. If it it it, if, it, if it, it is does if you say there's no technology to you know, and Heinlein does that a lot, where he has you know, uh, Podcane of Mars, right? They're messing with the. Uh, there's birthing machines, right? There's, um, there's all sorts of in science I'll, I'll fiction. They do this a lot, where they come up with a technology to, you know, do ovafusion, so lesbians can have babies that share both DNA of both parents, right? Um, yeah, but are they going to have that technology on the, the Hiroshi homeworld? No, it doesn't. I don't. Maybe. When she got her sex reassignment surgery, she got her testes turned into uh, ova uh, or oh, ovaries. I, 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 it's an intriguing idea. I think that's a real reach to go. That that, that I mean, I mean, Highline High, High has 
characters passing one for the other, and I think he was interested in the idea, but I don't think I don't think we can. Does anything suggest that Betty is transgender, male to female? I nothing to prove it, it, Paul. Nothing to prove it. It's all circumstantial. I, 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 I don't mean by your circumstantial argument. No, Mice is buying it. Yeah, I did. Okay, <laughs> uh, I, I like uh, the, I like the I, I like to be able to think about it, and and because of all the flipping that there is in it, and the six gendered um, Lamex, uh, maybe. So uh, the movie I'm thinking of, it's not. It's based on a Gore Vidal novel called Myra Breckenridge. Uh, it came out in 1970 as a movie. Um, and that was like the first big uh, public um, movie with a transgender character. Um, it, by the way, it starred Raquel Welch and Mae West. Wow. That's an interesting pair. And John Hewson and Farrah Fawcett. Wow. <laughs> wow. So... Um, it goes back, you know, that movie's 1970. That's two years before I was born. We think of transgender stuff as sort of being relatively modern 21st century. Um, certainly that's where it became a big hit. But Heinlein was, he was deep into the, the weeds here. And I believe, I know that in some sort of text, he references uh, Jorgensen. So that's my, that's my uh, read. And it happens all uh, a lot in this book that we have this idea of they're focusing on what their genders mean and what, which is all very modern, right? Thinking about uh, gender as a spectrum. There's six genders, right? Mm -hmm. In this case, uh, what was the, uh, the leader of the, the uh, Hiroshi ship was uh, best to think of her as a male. (laughs) <laughs> or something like that. So one of the one of the genders we don't have the words for it, right? We don't have the uh, acronym for it yet, and that's really interesting. It it, it sort of derails the uh, the story, and I think that's why he doesn't say it, right? Mm. And I, I think that it wouldn't get you know it would just well, defocus yeah, and, and the book there's, so there's much there's things about this book where think you where you where things are revealed slowly like mm-hmm. she has arms that was near the end of the book yep. that you know they can't, like now 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 she because she has arms she's they're like sentient, boobs she's more right sentient, she's getting right? boobs as like, she gets older right kind of yeah so now you have to look at her in, in a different light because she's she's complete she's changed yes. she's something else and and that's so important to we're, we're, their we're, definition we're, of their uh, th- them being human is that mm-hmm. they can manipulate things and this is what i say about dogs all the time is like we're really lucky dogs don't have hands because they would grab onto everything they'd be they're they're sniffing your crotch they're they're they'd be so handsy even more than that not even dogs think about cats and 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 that's that's explicitly mentioned she mentions that that uh Lummox shows all the destructive, intelligent curiosity of the cat and the same tendency to regard rules and confinement as something to work around. But perhaps most crucially, each attracts the fascinating and ex- exasperated affection known vividly to the cat owner. One loves and cares for a cat because it is owner, and in doing so, one demonstrates some things of one's character. Thus, Betty's patience with Lummox and the Star Beast demonstrates that she'll be a better choice for Lummox's John Thomas breeding programs than was his mother. Wow. They're going to make the Kwisatz Haderach. Don't worry. 
the, breeding, the human breeding program was going to come back with the ultimate John Thomas in about 10,000 years. I was, I was reading somewhere else. I got in Derek Mendelssohn's book. It pointed out, as I was doing side reading for this, that, okay, so we have this, we have this Princess of the Roshi bringing back a John Thomas, right? Mm-hmm. Once she's back and ensconced, it's going to be the high fashion of all these all, all the Hiroshi to have human pets of their own because, you know, that's the fashion now. So I think we're going to get tons of humans getting winding up on Hiroshi homeworld basically as pets of their it own. Does invite, it does invite uh, mm-hmm. a sequel. We want to go to the, their planet. The problem mm-hmm. with that is we got enough here and no, we should well, read yeah, the next I timeline juvenile. But I, I totally agree with you, Paul. It does totally invite that. It's like, and it would be like, called the Star Beasts. Like we would be the Star Beasts. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. We are the aliens. When I when I teach my student students the word beast, I usually uh, say it's a furry animal as opposed to uh, you know the birds, <laughs> which are feathery animals. But uh, Lummox isn't furry, right? So it doesn't quite work. Hence the reason this book should be called Space Lummox. <laughs> Star Lummox. Um, I think of beasts as just uh, I uh, agree. animals, you know, bir- the birds and beasts. Yeah. Um, field, as it were. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. Like a Komodo dragon is definitely a beast. Yeah. Well, uh, how about ants? Are they beasts? No, but See? they're vermin. Depends on how big they are. Scorpions, yeah, are they beasts? <laughs> no, you're thinking, you're thinking of like savage, right? Like it's a, it's a dangerous thing. And and the, and that's because it's sort of built in there, right? But um, he is, or she is, uh, a great character and very fun. I think the scene where she uh, develops the arm and Johnny's all concerned and uh, <laughs> Johnny asks, Hey, what is that thing? Are you okay? Well, at first he thinks it's a tumor or something. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but, the, but Lummox's thoughts about what, uh, the way Heinlein handles what Lummox thinks of the arm. Um, <laughs> Lummox is like, oh, that? Oh, that's interesting. Or, oh, that's normal. Right? <laughs> and it's like, Johnny's like, what is that? And then when Betty finds out about it, what is that? I gotta see this. Right? It's it's like, um, it's normal because it's normal. Lummox, uh, Lummox seems to have learned Hiroshi as uh, part of the genetic sequencing or something, right? And then uh, maybe had a little schooling uh, while running about a f- free form on the planet, and then had took a hundred and how many? Three hundred and fifty years, something like that, to learn English. Yeah, she found out in her in her in his father's time she started speaking, right. and and still sort of speaks kind of simply. The, all that stuff about uh, the test for intelligence, you know, this is actually a, like a lot of other science fiction stories, including um, uh, what Little we've Fuzzies. Done. Little Fuzzy, yeah, there's a trial in that. Heinlein has a, um, <laughs> not Heinlein, sorry. Um, uh, Robert J. Sawyer has a novel called Illegal Alien where they have a trial um, to determine, you know, <laughs> whether this thing's a human or not and whether it murdered somebody or not and you know you don't there's a line in this about you don't uh put uh beasts in jail 
you you destroy them because they're danger. You don't punish them, right? Because they they don't know. So there's a lot of uh, humming and hawing about whether this thing is a person, a human, legally or not. And that's all fine, but Johnny knows, and uh, so does Betty. So, I, I really like this book. It's uh, I would recommend it to a younger person just starting Heinlein. I would too. Did any? I did anybody else? I I have the um. I do have the text, and uh-huh. there was a, an, a really interesting thing in the introduction. What's that? Um. Did Did anybody else read about the relationship between this and Gulliver's Travels? No. No. I don't have oh, the introduction. Okay. So this is this is oh. from the introduction by um, William. H. Patterson, and it says, um, Heinlein told his magazine editor that Starbeast is a fantasy, but I have disguised it as an SF for commercial reasons. The story is in the mood of Dean Swift, not Jules Verne's. Heinlein is referring to the fourth section of Gulliver's Travels, another deeply serious book that has made its way into the world as a children's story. In Gulliver and the, okay, Jesse, how do I say it? The Heinlein. Winnems. Heinems. Quinnums. 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 The horses. Swift's intelligent horses keep Gulliver as a pet. Yeah. But eventually judge him a yahoo with a semblance of reason, which makes him, like Lemmex, a danger to society. But right. Gulliver has been emotionally changed by his contacts with the same humans Quinnums. and can never again make meaningful contact with his fellow humans. Are the Hiroshi sane humans in the Starbeast? Are the humans yahoos by definition? Uh, yeah, I didn't think of that, but that's right. That would have been Anthony Boucher, uh, the editor of FNSF at the time. Oh, no, J. J. Francis McComas. Oh. The magazine editor, magazine editor. Yeah, so, uh, that, he was also editor of FNSF. I didn't realize it was not Boucher at that point. Right. Um, interesting. No, I, I had not, I didn't know about that introduction. Um, was mm-hmm. this an ebook that you bought or something? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. You don't know? <laughs> it, no, it, I, I mean, I read it online. Oh. Um, but it's not an ebook. No, I think. Oh, okay. Maybe it's that it's, read-free website that's terrible. That. No, no, I actually I bought it. Okay, so it's the book. It's. it's but is like it an a, ebook? Like. Uh, it's a. It's an electronic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a Kindle. Okay. It's a Kindle version. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah. it's probably on Amazon or something. Yeah, it is on yeah. Amazon. I did not realize. Um, I did not realize there was an introduction. I would have mm-hmm. liked to have read that. Um, that's interesting. You can read it on Google. The introduction is there. On, oh, if you Google Google Books, you'll right, see right, the right. full okay. introduction. That's interesting. Yeah. Or if you do like the Kindle preview, it reads it has enough of it that you can read the introduction. Mm-hmm. You can see that now. All right. So, Will, um, this is your first time reading uh, this book, I assume. Yes, my first beast. <laughs> your first lummox as well yes um, um where would you rank it uh in terms of age would you pitch this for a younger set or would you pitch pitch for an older set of juveniles because i don't know we're comparing I think this it is like you know we've read a lot of heinlein this mm-hmm. year right mm-hmm. um and i think this might be um, of the juvenile stuff, like the best one um, for like, for kids or just in general for for kids. But I, you know, uh, the man who sold the moon is a really good book. But I think 
Um, well, that's not aimed at kids, whereas this one No, it's not. Is. It's not. And it's not wholesome like this. Um, uh, but I think this is good for kids. I think it's good for adults, too. Um, but it, it is like... It's less corny than uh, the Rolling Stones. Um, yeah. Uh, so, like, I think it's better for adults than the Rolling Stones um, was. Um, uh, but... Uh, what I'm really focused on here is there's just like there's just like one little like conversation between uh uh Kiku and Greenberg that's like uh Kiku's like civilization is in crisis because of all these aliens um that we've come into contact with since mm. going out into space and so really we're just keeping these like Republican norms right now, but like we are controlling society. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, that's the two moments in the book that I thought were like, really like, huh, were the, the Sorensen whisper, mm-hmm. which, you know, we've talked a lot about at this point and Kiku being like, well, the bureaucrats have to run the machine, uh, because like it'll crash otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we talked about that. I mentioned that earlier, the whole mm-hmm. public democracy thing you, before you got here. Well, and how I remarked how this this book has a very has a very cynical view of democracy and counting votes and like, oh yeah, it's the elected bureaucrats have to save I, us all. Because I did not think it was cynical. I thought it was optimistic. <laughs> yeah, well, because the because the bureaucrats are like these, like because Kiku is like a he's like a good man, um, uh, but the I'm but even the politician like, is pretty good. Uh, for politicians he's you know he's trying to save his own career and stuff but i I, but i'm wondering if there's like um if we could get into like heimlein's views on communism and like you know like if there's some kind of similar like um if we get to like heimlein's views on nuclear testing like if there's there's somewhere there's some connection there i think um uh, I don't know. Um, but, uh, so, you know, there's some, there's some deep stuff in the book. Um, but, uh, I, overall, yeah, I think it's a good book for kids. I think it's a good book for like adults who would like a charming read about, uh, like a talking animal that is not an animal. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course it's like, like it's like, even though Heinlein is doing his his diversity thing here and having like the strong like, uh, like the spunky, uh, possibly transgender, um, like love interest. Um, I, I mean I don't think anybody but Jesse would read that character as transgender. Um, Jesse makes mice an is, argument. Mice is buying my. My yeah, theory. but Misa wouldn't come to the conclusion without your like I know, I, I, influence. Yeah. I needed help to get there. <laughs> um, I'm, like, your like a... I'm your Betty. I'm your Betty, Misa. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't think <laughs> he's it... taking me to court, and he's he's. he's <laughs> I don't think a transgender child is going to pick up this book and like be like, oh yeah, I obviously this character is obviously. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Uh, as uh, this character is obviously legible as transgender, like they might identify with like the. The, like if they're in conflict with their parents about being transgender, there could be something there. Um, uh, but uh, you know, we have the spunky uh, protagonist. We have the 
uh, we have the Kenyan arch bureaucrat um, who's having to overcome his fear of the of the uh, Medusin. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was I, and nice. and I thought that was which also I, I is that, transgender, by the way. The Medusin uh, is transgender. I, I don't. He's a male. <laughs> Not everything is transgender. Oh uh, no, I think I, I think a lot of stuff is actually because if you think about the relationship between Johnny and. Um, uh, Betty, she's the, uh, more, you know, you called him spunky, but I don't think he's that spunky. He's more um, passive, right? He It takes a lot for him to stand up to his mom. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of switched. The gender yeah. roles. The gender roles are, are not wholly switched, but they're kind of switched. But, she's yeah, like, she at some point she says, I need you to hold my hand right now or something like that. But even so. Um, yeah, but you know what? She keeps changing her face, like the makeup that's thing. That's right. Like, I'm yeah, taking that, off my eyebrows. I'm taking off my eyebrows. I'm like she's. That's oh, also. I'm painting my face with weird, with okay, weird is not the right, with unusual patterns. But that seems to be the thing in society. And suggested at one point that Johnny should. Do that's it. exactly what I'm saying. Mm. Everything's transgender in this book. Yeah. Right. Everything. <laughs> I don't think the I don't think you've successfully argued that the medusoid is transgender though. Well, um, Medusa's Medusa is is a is female. Yeah, female. Yeah, but it's medusoid. It's it's I get it. I get it. It's I'm not saying you know uh, the character is particularly uh, feminine either. I'm just saying that it that is another a gender you know, swap. Another little gender swap. A little check mark. Besides, yeah. Yeah, and like the you know you, you have Kiku getting over his his deep fear of the snakehead. Um, so that's actually to me that's cool, the most though. unrealistic thing in this entire book. I, I buy you know testes turned into uh, ovaries over the fact that that you can go to a doctor and uh, have hypnotherapy and, <laughs> and well, get I mean, but, your but fear of snakes to go that, away. But he has hypnotherapy that, as a, a crutch in almost every book you know like when when he's it's in starship troopers famously right that i can convince these soldiers that they shouldn't be afraid to drop into battle because they've had hypnotherapy Ah, i don't buy it hypnosis as a as a actual uh, awesome technique that you can you know people go to smoking things right all that stuff look if it helps, if it, if you use that as an excuse to help you quit smoking, it's really hard to quit smoking. Okay, great. But really, the guy didn't do anything you didn't want it to do. And yeah, Don't he has a motive. Just tell you that? Of course, of course. But uh, understanding, like, it took me a long time in my life. There's, I'm trying to figure out everything. What hypnosis was it took me a long time to figure out. And Heinlein does not help at all. Heinlein is regressive in his pushing of hypnosis because he treats it like it's a technology that we can master and that's absolutely not what it is it isn't something that you're going to study in university i mean you could study it but it would be like for your thesis paper on like how it how uh, it has been used right not not how it is a science it's it's much more like dianetics than it is like um you know uh, rocketry but so the what, where were we? <laughs> Sorry. But, but the interesting thing about that character, I mean, there was the hypnosis thing, but the idea of, of how how you can how you relate to another who's so different from you, and and so it, it's it's in different layers. Like it's in in that character, like 
okay, so he's my equal, even though I I totally don't understand him and and I'm and I'm a little bit afraid of him. Um, but then there's there's a there's in terms of of like Lamex and her and her speech and they and, and there's a line that says. Um, you you are assuming that an ET is stupid because he can't speak our language well. It's like assuming that an Italian is illiterate because he mm-hmm. speaks broken English. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. so, there's all like how how you relate to somebody who's so different from you and and still put them on a level equal to you because they are or above. Um, how can and, people say when they read a line like that? How can people say Heinlein is like uh, turgid or whatever the slur that they're throwing at him? Because that's not turgid at all. That's and it's not. He's not like pushing bad ideas. He's anti-racist, right? Mm-hmm. He puts in mm-hmm. a little bit of analogy to to racism, so that we through this you know species being different, so that we can say, oh yeah, this guy is totally yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's cra- It's like a slur, a smear to do that. There's not a an awkward bone in this book. I don't think uh, one thing um, that I will, you just barely touched on it. And I really, I, I was thinking, why isn't it? We haven't talked about that much. Um, there's two uh, ex parte groups I- in this book. We find out about one of them rather abruptly. Um, and that's the friends of Lummox. Yeah. Right. But then there's the other one that shows there's up the in the courtroom. Group courtroom uh, represented by the closest to a straw man character but they, those people actually exist as well um who are what keep earth uh, for humans group whatever mm-hmm. it's called mm-hmm. and they've got their petition and they seem to have backers it might be um all uh notice one is adults and one is kids concerned parents about aliens <laughs> And the other one is like, we like breakfast cereal and that lady who does puppets. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And one is being pushed by an agenda from a particular non-democratic form, right? Which is a television producer who's, you know, using commercial breakfast cereal to leverage leverage (laughs) an agenda. It's very interesting because it's something that is in play. In the book, but ultimately comes to nothing, both of them, right? So if they had tried to kidnap Lummox or, you know, if they tried to blow something up, which is a threat in the book, um, it, and, you know, abandoning the uh, the celebrity. Uh, what was her name? She had a funny name. Murgatroyd? Murgatroyd. Heavens to Murgatroyd. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking Heavens to Murgatroyd. Murgatroyd is an incredibly Heinleinian name. I don't know why. It's probably (laughs) maybe in another book. Well, what about Pidgey Widgey? Is that a Heinleinian name? Pidgey Widgey is not Heinleinian. Oh, uh, guess what, guys? I found the Russian edition on eBay of this book, and they show Pidgey Widgey. I'm gonna. I'll put those in the show notes when this show goes no. up eventually. Oh, I'd like to. I'd like to meet Pidgey. Pidgey Widgey is about my intellectual speed. <laughs> oh, come on. Wow. Just, Pidgey Widgey runs around the solar system having adventures, eating cereal. Yeah. I mean, um, I get it. Speechy preaching race tolerance. Yeah, I mean, if it makes the commercialism seem legit, right? Yeah, and when uh, can leverage I mean, it that way. How about that scene where Kiko was just like, no, I will not sit down with that puppet. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you go, Kiko. He's, he's puppetist. <laughs> mm. 
He's anti-puppet. I, I was just like, Kiku, don't you want to sit down with the puppet? I mean, he had important things to deal with. He's cancel- I cancelable. I, I mean, he, he's he's basically trying to run foreign affairs to the planet because he talks about the whole this whole system he's got set up to dispose of problems quickly. He's he's like soup. He's like he's like highly competent man, <sighs> except the bureaucrat. Which I hate that think- brinksmanship shit that he always Heinlein always does. Right? It's like yeah. every fucking time there's a kind of instant. Anytime there's a conflict, how about this? I walk out of here. I'm firing myself. Bye. Like, no, no, no. I'm relying on, like, you're relying on the guy to respond the way you want him to. Well, luckily, you're Heinlein. You're writing both sides of the conversation. In real life, sometimes people just get so fucking frustrated. They say, fine, I never want to see you again. Right? It kind of reminded me of Lazarus Long that way. It's like, I'm going to push, 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 push. That is the worst instinct Heinlein has, and he he leans into it more and more over the years. He does like plot. I do not like it at all. I think it's a very bad way to go. And and yet, that's what's interesting is that our hero doesn't do that ever, right? He's like, can't we all just be friendly? And mom, don't bug me so much. And come on, mom. <laughs> <laughs> but you just kind of need somebody who who will legalize it, you know, argue in favor, be partisan, and be right. That's why Betty's important for this story. She's there to, you know, see to the interests, which are real, and not some bureaucrats' uh, theoreticals, right? Because until, you know, we can't even rely on Sergei to do the right thing. He does the wrong thing, right? He says Lummox should be killed. We're on Lummox's side. That's not right. Lummox never tried to hurt anybody. Yeah, I, I mean, he play, play, points at the one point, like, sure, make sure not to step on people. I mean, Lummox can be casually destructive, but to not... To material, but not to persons. Right. So Lummox is a cat, except for the fact that sometimes cats will draw blood. When no, they cats are... Lummox seems to be, uh, I don't want to say vegetarian. <laughs> oh, no, I guess... I, he no, he's that dog. That dog never shows up. I, nobody complains about the missing dog. <laughs> no. What was it, a terrier? It was a stray dog, you know? It was a stray. No, I thought it, I thought it belonged I, I to somebody. I think it was a stray. I think it belonged to somebody. It, I, I think it did, but the dog was just so annoying that Lummox decided... <laughs> Lummox tasted it. And, and, yep, it's pretty good. And, and then later on... <laughs> Crunchy. Yeah, well, 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 I think, well, yeah, Lummox... Is it Lummox meets Mr. Eden and decides not to eat him? I think that's a specific line in the book. Like, no, I'm not going to eat him, too. And actually, this is, a, this is a really, really, really important thing, I think, that Heinlein... Uh, this is a word that hasn't come up in our discussion so far. This book's really about power. If you think, like, mm-hmm. who has the power to do something? And mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, what makes Lummox what we think of as a powerful human and what they think of as a powerful human is that Lummox has hands, right? Yeah. So if you don't have the power to wipe your own butt or, you know, you know get your own cup, it's not a disability book. I don't think Heinlein was particularly about, you know, uh, treating people who have disability uh, you know, paralysis or whatever, uh, ataxia, whatever it is. I don't think that was on Heinlein's mind, but it is about the p- relationship of power to power, and it, the the negotiations between the humans and the Hiroshi, um is one is like you can't treat us as a low level servant. We are powerful. 
Now, maybe they're not, right? But you have to treat them that way or things go wrong. People get grumpy. And yeah, right. we, we well, could have the, the planet volatiles. Was, yep, go for it. The reason Kiku was no- negotiating so hard with his brinksmanship, which I agree is bad if you use it in every book. Um, but, you know, this was a point that would determine the relations between the species for, you know, probably the rest of time. And so um, he had to really take the best advantage of the only card that he had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that, Will? Power. It's a book about power. Is it a book about power? Yes. I, I think it is. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, uh, but in the end, like, isn't Lummox the most powerful of all? Yeah, and that's kind of like it's the opposite of this so-called, you know, democracy, right? It's a it's hereditary monar- monarchy, monarchy with a breeding program <laughs> and all that stuff. So, yeah, we, well, we, we can't we can't judge their culture, Jesse. It's old, <laughs> and they have six genders. They won't let us judge their culture, right? Well, we're we're gonna start. We sent over a mission. Yeah. That makes it The Rats in the Walls by William Tenn, though. <laughs> yeah, that's a different thing. <laughs> which is all, uh, which is so awesome because that's all about the, the psychology of the mice. And it's not anything about the psychology of the aliens, right? So mm-hmm. in this case, we were, we're just touching on the alien mind. They're sort of uh, what? What, what are they, the? They have very human for aliens that are impossible to understand. They do seem to be very human. Or that it may, may, maybe they're, maybe they're more like the parents. Medusoid is is explaining them in good in in effective fashion. So the Medusoid is really an expert translator. So maybe they're like they're, manipulator. They're like parents well, well, no, well, saying well, kids well, are not allowed well, at the at the adult table when ad, mommy and daddy are discussing well, important things. Go no, back no, to that your room. That was a good point. Was that you, Mice, who said manipulator? Yeah, yeah. yeah it, that is a good point because it's clear that the the, the news like keeps pointing out. Oh yeah, they're going to kill you. They're going to destroy you. They're going to destroy you. And I and it's clear by the end when it, there's a there's a bit of a mention about it. The Medusa is clearly shading things for its mm-hmm. own, for their own benefit. So manipulator, yes, the translator is manipulating both sides. Which, but we don't get quite enough of that, that because this I, is. A, I liked how we, that was so gray at the end. Yeah, it's like, it's like yeah, that it's was fast, pretty cool. It's basically their translator. Interpreter for hire, and that's an awesome galactic claim interpreter for hire. That's an awesome job. I want a story about that. Well, <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of this other idea that Heinlein has in that terrible novel, Stranger in a Strange Land. Um, it's the fair witness. Jesse, you're going to wind up getting lots of Heinlein people upset with you by saying that. It's too long. It's too long. Um, uh, the fair witness. Do you remember the fair witness? This is a person whose job it is to act as sort of like a uh, human camera, right? You, mm-hmm. it's, instead of like just listening to testimony of reports and on the news, and uh, you know, like um, you know, somebody said somebody's a bad person, and he did it with malicious intent. Rather, this person. I think the example from that book is. Uh, instead of s- saying, pointing to a house over on the horizon and saying that's a white house, you say the fair the fair witness is trained 
to only describe what the fair witness witnessed. So when the person under indictment pointed over to the house on the horizon, it says, it looks like a house, it's white on two sides, instead of saying it's a white house, right? The idea of we can fix our, our technologically, we can fix our shoddy um, eyewitness testimony by fixing the sentences that we place in our own heads. And we actually have a little bit of this in the trial with the the technology they have to say whether somebody's lying or not, Mm -hmm. which is... Truth meter or something? Yeah, the truth meter, which is, again, it's very another very simplistic technology. Yes, there are devices that can measure your heart rate. It's it's more more played for laughs in this book than anything else. It's it's Mm -hmm. a little bit played for laughs, um, especially with the lady who's overestimating her stuff but it also you know when she's testifying about her feelings they're honest right but the idea that we can we can technology uh, technology our way out of stuff uh like that is way less plausible than the fact that we could you know put some uh ovaries in into some dude that that's much more plausible because the 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 human mind's way of storing data and making judgments is not simple at all. It's incredibly difficult to understand. We, you know, we're more likely to have uh, vocal telepathy, uh, telepathy transmitters installed by Elon Musk than we are to know whether somebody is lying or not. Uh, but there are things like if you, if, if we, um, we're not doing a film, but we were doing a visual translation of it, that is to get rid of actors and replace them all with, uh, uh, I don't know, digital characters or something. Um, when somebody is on the witness stand and we wanted to zoom in VR wise and see whether their eyes are wildly fluctuating because their emotions are are all over the place, that would be totally doable, right? So when we zoom in and see John Thomas hearing what uh, Betty's saying, whispering in his ear, maybe we can zoom in and listen to what she actually says, which will be, I'm transgender. Uh, but <laughs> Jesse! John Thomas is like, but if, I know. Um. <laughs> I'm cool with it. Um, his, uh, his, uh, he'll say, me too. Maybe not. Um, his eyes might, my, yeah, exactly. His eyes will fluctuate wildly or not at all. And that is much more plausible as a technology than the idea we can, you know, just put, they have it in Star Trek too, right? The, the computer's always judging whether Captain Kirk is lying. He's telling the truth <laughs> or whatever. It's a, it's a fake technology that we think of is something that's just around the corner. And that's a huge mental mistake on our, on our behalf. So yeah, Misa, this is much more like a fantasy. Uh, like, mm, yeah, it's, it's the, what if a Wynnum came to earth? <clears throat> it's, or like, um, yeah, planet of the apes is, is by the way, also a variation on that final section of, uh, <clears throat> Gulliver's Travels. It's just uh, apes instead of humans, right? Uh, 
I'm, I'm still not convinced that the that the Roshia or Roshi or however you say it are like so like mentally different from people as they're portrayed here. Um, you're, you're saying Heinlein's not fulfilling Campbell's uh, request. <laughs> well, right? I'm saying I because I was saying that like, this is a this is a wine bomb story on some level, right? Sure. Like Like Martian Odyssey, mm-hmm. we have Twilio. you know the alien, the mm-hmm. different. Like has a different outlook than the human. the The only way I get to like the Rosha being like different from people is like, I mean, it does take a different kind of psychology to like just want to like hang out and like just like get pet for like a century, right? <laughs> like that's I mean that's pretty different than how people are. Um, so their their views of time are like really different. Well, uh, think of our relationship to. Puppies, right? They grow up after seven months. They basically hit their their adult size, and they can start breeding after a year or something like that, right? Um, that's a very compressed youth. Every day, you know, you don't see a puppy growing up. It grows, and it grows in a very substantial way compared with humans. Here, that seems to be the same case, right? So the time thing. Uh, getting pet for, uh, I mean, that's how, that's how the humans would be treated. Like they're over the course of my life. My mom's had, uh, I don't know, a dozen dogs, uh, many of them dying of old age. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and think about like an, an immortal being. So it's irrelevant whether I pet my John Thomas's for 200 years or 500 years or a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And and so how what would I learn like what how what would they know, being there forever? You can't even begin to think. Like we know that Lummox gets bored though, because the the story opens up with Lummox being bored. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's the first right. line. And for, yeah, and, and and figuring out a way to get out of the out of the yard without technically breaking John Thomas's commands. Yeah, but what kind of patience does Lummox have for having sat in that yard for 200 <laughs> That's years? That's a good point. <laughs> a very, yeah. very good point. So, like, so that's a little bit alien, but it's like, once we're having, like, the conflict with the Hiroshia, like, it's like, they're just like, you know, the way they're looking down their nose at the humans, is a, it's a very human thing to do, right? Like, to be like, well, you're below me, um, and I don't want to talk to you. Yeah, I, I, tigers I don't demands. really look at, uh, at smaller animals as beneath them in dignity, right? They just eat them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, it, it's a fantasy, as we've discussed, Um but uh, I, I was trying to decide whether this is like a wine bomb story or not, hmm. um, and I'm I'm still not sure whether. I'm it's pretty a sure wine it's a Heinlein story myself. But. Well, well, yes, it's a Heinlein story, <laughs> but you know what I mean. I do. Uh, I think I think there is something to this fantasy element. Um, I mean, obviously the the aliens are not, you know, are not likely. <laughs> uh, the fact that you know you give them arsenic and that just makes them grow. Uh, I, I think we have to treat it as all symbolic. It, that being the case, Will, um, if it is all symbolic, why does she go on a diet at the end? To why get is... little. <laughs> to fit on the spaceship. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, is it, is it to fit on the spaceship? 
No, no, no. Um, it's because she's she's outsized for the rest of her her species. Because and, she's maybe maybe it's because she's like you, you. She's been indulging and and indulged and indulged, and now mm. she's got to go fulfill her kind of. She's too fat, more. is what you're saying. She's got to get hot for her wedding. That's or I think, well, yeah, I think no, that no, might be like it. Moving, it's moving from moving from a childhood into more of an of a responsible. Ah, stop eating candy. Stop He's eating all those like that. iron yeah, like that, gr- yeah. grates and bars. Stop eating cars. Stop eating <laughs> everything. <laughs> right. Well, she's also big enough to just swat the uh, captain of the starship, and that it, 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 when she gets mad at him, she basically, you know. Uh, uh, sideswipes him and and knocks him several feet away. So mm-hmm. him or it or whatever. Um, so uh, I mean that's not conducive to <laughs> diplomatic relations and civilization. What 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 about this? Um, the, thinking about John Thomas as the pet. Thinking mm-hmm. about him as being a uh, a short-lived creature that they're going to breed on Hiroshi, whatever planet it is. Um, thinking about that and thinking about our relationship to our pets, Will, you said it's not very uh, realistic to think of them as alien because they seem to look down their nose on people and that's something we do. And I'm thinking, well, actually, what? How's our relationship to to animals, right? So, mm-hmm. if well, they're it, precious babies, well, s- for some people, right, they're yeah. precious babies. Yeah, or but under the law, or under the law, that is not the case, right? So their property, their mm-hmm. property, or Ownership. their or their um, chattel, or their uh, wildlife, and they're dealt with by wildlife officers. So, like in. My mom's neighborhood, where there's a lot of bears, there's bears here too, but there's more bears in her neighborhood. Um, people don't want to call the cops because they will shoot the bears, right? Um, and it's because they're thinking they're our friends, right? There was a story uh, my mom was excited about, and I looked at the video, it's very brief, of a lady in Quinell, B.C. getting her leg licked by a, a black bear, <laughs> Um, so scary. <laughs> and, uh. and they're asking her, what did it feel like? She says, it felt like a dog's tongue. But I don't recommend people going around trying to get their leg legged by a bear. She's trying to police public behavior with the cards to uh, getting licked by bears. She was on Instagram and playing with her phone and the bear shows up and licks her leg. Um, so... The normal response by human beings is not to look down their noses at these animals, but rather to just treat them as a, a danger or a thing that can be shot without any trial, right? Without any uh, recourse even to uh, property laws and stuff like that. So the negotiations there where the Hiroshi are like, we want to nuke your planet, but somewhere on your planet, our queen's uh, corgi got away. Can you give us, we demand you give us your, our corgi in implicitly acknowledging that they, they can talk. They're saying, um, we know we can get what we want by talking to you through this intermediary alien, or we hope to, but normally the way we would solve this is, 
Like, it's almost like an invasion of the Earth. Like, you could have told this as War of the Worlds, but instead of trying to destroy the Earth, they're just combing the Earth looking for a particular human, right? And then they find him, and then they fly off. That's not much of a novel, but it would be a hard-to-understand experience. A very, very hard-to-understand experience. But we don't talk to bears. When we see a bear, we might yell at it, but we don't say, hey, hey buddy, bear. Hey, bear. <laughs> how come you're always coming around this territory? You know you're not supposed to like none of that stuff. We will destroy your whole family if you don't like there's no negotiations. There's no threats. It's just shoot the bear or or they, you know, kidnap it and take it off into the woods and release it somewhere else. The so there is some sort of implicit uh, mirroring of what they have in the courtroom where they saying whether Lummox can testify or not versus, and and that's all about, uh, you know, the hands, it turns out, ultimately, not about the speaking, versus uh, what's going on with the aliens and the negotiation at the formal hearing or whatever it is. There's a kind of, um, it's not the hands there that matter. It's It's that... Uh, they don't really care about what's going on on Earth at all. They only care about getting their, their wandering princess back. And it, they're treating it like a uh, police hostage negotiation sort of thing. So do we get that much insight into what's really going on in their mind, or are we just projecting that, is what I would say. Well, if it is a wine bomb alien, um, I think it, he does a pretty good job. That idea that it's kind of like the way we talk to our pets. We don't usually say, uh, lean over to Fluffy or whatever animal it is and say, (laughs) you know, I've been thinking a lot about my existence lately and I just don't know. I don't know if my life is going the way it should. What do you think? You just say, who's a cute little boy? Who's a cute little boy? And then you give them, you want a cookie? Cookie? You want a cookie? Like that. (laughs) I go Go walkies. <laughs> this is not. Um, this is not how we we don't engage philosophically with dogs. I sometimes like say to my mom's dog, "Look at all this meat on you," and I'm I'm petting him. So you would make a nice roast. <laughs> yes, you want to be eaten, don't you? Right, but that's all for me. That's not for the dog. It's just the sounds. So when Lummox doesn't engage in a very intellectually rigorous way with uh sergey or or even johnny (laughs) you want to go outside okay we can go for a walk oh you you're afraid of the you're afraid of uh you know just going cross country we have to stay on the road okay johnny (laughs) it might be like more like that what do you think will am i arguing successfully that these are sufficiently alien aliens sufficiently alien aliens or you you've argued that they like you've sufficiently argued for the 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 pet human form reproducing itself between lummox and johnny i think i do think that there's like uh there just does they just seem to be intelligible in a way that like feels very human uh which might just be unavoidable maybe if you're just a about genius them. you're so you're you're like an adult reading a kid's book and you say i get these guys but yeah but lummox kind of indulged johnny like like she would a child mm-hmm. okay or sure. a pet or a pet whatever yeah yeah 
Yeah. yeah that's you want to go for another true. walkie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to have me sit in your yard for another decade? Yeah. Okie dokie. Yeah, but it, it, a, <laughs> decade, a decade of dog time is, you know, a week or, I don't know, a year or something, right? A decade of Lummox time yeah. is nothing. It could be nothing. Absolutely. Yeah. The <laughs> fact that Lummox starts bored and hungry. Um, After 150 years. Yeah. Well, well it's, it's, it's made point that Lummox has been out of that yard before and has caused problems. That's yeah, why but... now, now Lummox is now restricted to the yard. Also because Lummox has gotten big ever since eating the Buick. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's another really unrealistic thing about this novel is that there's like Buicks 300 years from now. Um, <laughs> there are no Buicks today. Just, <laughs> yeah. Yes, there are. I mean, from before no, the brand is, has been retired, Paul. No, I thought there were still Buicks. No, they don't make Buicks any. I mean, there's old Buicks, but there's no. Maybe yeah, maybe he has a he has like nineteen thirty eight Buick. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, no, no. His great grandfather's great 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 grandfather's car. It, 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 yeah. I mean they don't look the same as the old ones, but yeah, because I'm just looking at two thousand twenty two Buick well, Oh, they must Enclaves. have brought it they must have brought it back for a minute. Oh so, yeah, I I was pretty sure they still had it. No, they did Buick retire it at some point, I'm pretty sure. But yeah. now they're back. Buick is moving in a new direction for the 2021 model year. Yeah, they're no going to bring it back. No longer offering any traditional cars. The brand is hedging its bets entirely on crossovers, which may not be oh, a yeah. bad thing given uh, today's consumer preferences. Most Buicks enter 2021 with minor updates, such as additional features and color options. Yeah. Oh, thank you. The, the, that's from Motor Trend, in case everyone is wondering. It's actually, wondering. it's actually really interesting. It's sort of beside the point, but the the, mo- the motor car industry is like now brands are just like things you sell to other companies who are selling. Like it's a it's a product. Like you have a Toyota that's a Ford, right? Because this will make it more saleable, and we want to have one of these, and we don't manufacture it, so. Uh, yeah, what what is a Buick anymore if it doesn't share any parts with other Buicks, right? If, if, if it's not a platform. Um, but the Packard, that's coming back. <laughs> you know? Or uh, it's a whole bunch of weird car brands. But I believe they, they retired, like General Motors went through a uh, winnowing. So that they didn't, just like, how many Lincolns are still being made? I'm sure there's a Lincoln Navigator or something like, like that, right? But is it... A uh, whole separate division, or is it a, just a branding exercise? Right, that's the uh, that's a sort of a very twenty twenty one car issue. Yeah, it looks like they just make the Lincoln Navigator. Yeah, it's it, it becomes like but may, maybe these like maybe in Heinlein's future these like weird imprints of brands survive as IP, and mm-hmm. there could be a Buick. But I just felt like it was Johnny's like a young man. I just can't see him driving a Buick. <laughs> oh, and all the young men love the hot rod Buicks. <laughs> Classic car. Yeah. Classic Buick. Um, uh, I, I like that he wasn't even mad that Lummox ate his car. <laughs> that was probably a couple weeks ago. So he gets over things fast. Well, and you can fly around in a flight harness. Like, what do you need yeah, a car yeah. for? I'm thinking mm-hmm. well, when, they, when, he, when he takes uh, Johnny to the vet. <laughs> no, oh on Hiroshi, <laughs> it's like he's got to get his shots. Uh, he's going to be really afraid, so keep him in the cage, okay? <laughs> get him on a leash. 
<laughs> Maybe it's going to be a dystopia when they arrive there. They think they're married, but they're just in a breeding program to make to make uh, corgis for everybody. Now that the queen, now that the, 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 the queen has uh... no, no, no. It's it's, it's clear that. Uh... Clear that Lummox is very possessive over John Thomas's. She's not going to be sharing John Thomas's. She's not going to be sharing. It's an exclusive brand just for the family. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's just the royal, just just the royal family. That would be a great opening for us for a sequel. That's a surprise sequel. You know, like somebody uh, just files off the serial numbers. But basically, spaceships are disappearing. Uh, Humans are being disappeared, and it turns out they're all showing up on on the Hiroshi planet and being like they're stolen dogs <laughs> that are being sold mm-hmm. on the black market. So people can have the fashionable human pets that run around furiously trying to do things at a high rate and die very young, but make very cute puppies. Right. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think about this as a, a deeply pet book, um, but it, it obviously has that in there. Oh, definitely. Uh-huh. Sure. I mean, the mom views Lummox as nothing but a pet, and yet she's and willing to exterminate that. it, and, oh. and uh, you know, completely disregards the uh, hurt that this would cause to her son. Now, uh, when you said the mom, I thought I thought you were talking about John Thomas's mom, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah. she kind of treats him like a pet, right? She's oh, she's, she treats John Thomas like she a keeps pet. him on yeah, a short kinda. leash, right? You're gonna wear this mm-hmm. little. Little outdoor socky thing that I want to put on your feet. <laughs> but mommy You're going don't to like study it. Law. That's right. You're going to go to doggy classes, and mm-hmm. yeah. And she prepares his food for. Oh no, he suggested she pre- he prepare f- food at one point, but his mom does mostly do the cooking. It seems. Um, it's interesting. The father in the last one we did, right? I no, maybe it's two two books ago. Between planets, no. I don't know. One of those books, the father was the was always not cooking. Oh, it was Ganymede, Ganymede uh, Farmer in the Sky, right? It was Farmer, yeah. Yeah, and the son was doing all that. But he was a single dad for part of the book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. here we've got a single mom. Hmm. But she divorced her parents, not her parent, uh, mm-hmm. Betty. Interesting. Um, one thing I was thinking about um, this the the controlling mother in this book reminded me a little bit of the movie in a movie, sorry, of the mother in a movie called Suddenly, which is a 1954 uh, uh, sort of political crime th- thriller where. Um, Let's see. To summarize, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, people are planning to assassinate the president, and so they take over the house of a small town family. Um, and before we before we get into that plot, we meet the mother, who is a widow, um, a war widow, uh, and a sheriff is courting her, and mm. she wants nothing to do with him, and forbid you know tries to stop her little boy from from you know playing with the sheriff or getting any attention from him because she hates guns and she's a pacifist and probably because her husband died in the war. Um, it also came out in 1954. Um, and uh, so later so, in 54 though. So Heinlein wouldn't have seen it, but it, that is really interesting it, that there are a lot of parallels, aren't there? Yeah. And I was wondering what other, 
uh, media may have come out around this time with uh, controlling mothers um, who in the book or movie are obviously wrongheaded according to the viewpoint of the creator. Uh, Philip K. Dick's mom was like that. Um, and he, he grew up uh, not because his dad was dead from the war, but divorced. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so the war definitely probably influenced a lot. But a lot of this is also just people having relationships in the 20th century, mm. <laughs> you know, where <laughs> divorce is uh, unheard of. Uh, at least uh, it's shameful, um, but possible. Um, it says that that movie is based on a, a story from Blue Book in uh, 1943 called Active Duty. I'm going to watch this movie. Thank you. It's public domain. Uh, oh, it's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, looks good. It says it's a film noir as well, which I'm a big fan of. So, somebody has judged it as being good. It's on YouTube. <laughs> um, I thought that mother was a trope character. Uh, kinda, like, yeah. You, you get, well, you yeah. Get I that mean, she's very kind of out of it kind of character. She's very a one note, and she's written unsympathetically. Um, Although for a moment, I thought she might get together with the police chief later. Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah, I was I was back to maybe off screen. Um, yeah, <laughs> in the movie. Right. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, she's uh, kind of tropey, but there. I mean, she her views change at the end of the movie. They have obviously changed pretty radically. Uh, so yeah, I think there's a good chance she will end up with the sheriff after all. She swept mm. off her feet and taken to the Hiroshi planet. <laughs> <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> uh, Johnny and Betty have that trip to Hawaii that they aren't able to use, yeah. so maybe Mom and the Sheriff. Seventeen will... pickle dishes. What is it? What was it? Seventy. Yeah. yeah. Pickles. pickles. Yes. <laughs> See, I told you it was a transgender story. Pickles. <laughs> Stupid. Stupid. Okay. <laughs> well, you, you said it about yourself, not me. No, no, the joke is stupid, not not me. Uh, and, and it's Heinlein's joke. I'm just I'm just bringing it to the surface. <laughs> bringing to the surface how stupid Heinlein is. <laughs> no, how stupid is. I'm joke. gonna I'm gonna joke tell is. people that Jesse said Heinlein was just very stupid. Well, in some areas, yes. And hypnotism and oh, pickle-dish jokes. Yes, his, hypnot- his hypnotism is off. He, he, he uses it like it's a real thing. That's not right. I, I do like this book. I'm glad I read it again. I'm probably not going to get a chance to read it again before I die, so I'm very happy to uh, have read it once again. I'm happy to have read it, too. Yeah. Good it book. Fills a hole in my, it fills a hole in my Heinlein reading. You know, um, I was thinking... Uh, I was at Costco the other day, and they have these box sets, which I bought many of. Uh, like, they have the Hardy Boys hardcovers, you know, like 10 or whatever. Hardy Boys uh, hardcovers, very slim volumes in a nice, you know, cardboard case. Uh, you know, cover color covers on each. They're actually hardcovers, but paperback size. And then they have, of course, the Harry Potter ones. There's... Uh, not C.S. Lewis, but there's a few other. There's a, like uh, Tolkien ones at the bookstore, but they're fucking outrageous, like ninety nine bucks or something for you know one one book. This oh my god. Anyways, the Costco ones can be really cheap, like twenty bucks, right? 
um, and beautiful art on some of them. The, there's Harry Potter and, you know, Rick Riordan and all sorts of uh, ones. I can't bring to mind all of the different ones that they, but there isn't a goddamn Heinlein box set that you could like get with decent covers. Why the fuck don't they have like just a, a collection of juveniles that I would buy that? I guess I guess the Heinlein estate just doesn't see them see the uh, potential market in that. Well, what the fuck's wrong with their brains? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, think about it. Wouldn't you like to have these, Misa? I certainly would. Wouldn't would if if, if it business. was a forty dollar thing at Costco to get eight eight books, eight Heinlein juveniles or whatever. I don't know how many there are. Um, you would buy that. Because you'd Absolutely. see that as a total deal, and you'd give it as a gift to people who are like semi the right age for uh, reading it as just uh, um, you know youthful reading. I, I think maybe the thinking is, I mean, like Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys have enough mainstream <laughs> cultural cachet that someone randomly coming up to it will see it and buy it. Also, see also Harry Potter. But I mean, unless you're someone like me or Misa or you or or Will or Trish. You want you want to Costco and you see Heinlein as a name. They're not going to know who the and why is, is that? And why is that? Because because as big as is a name in science fiction, Heinlein is not a giant name in. But why is culture. that? Um, because they that, don't put out these books. Like if you just uh, you know, like there's a lot of authors there that are not. I'm trying to think of the British one who's. Uh, they always say he's racist. And he wrote the twits. Roll doll, right? There's a roll doll uh, one. Roll doll has mainstream. Uh, it's like movies and stuff. What? Yeah. What? What roll doll movie are we talking about? James and the Giant Peach. Yeah. When was that? How many years ago was that? Like fifteen. Something yeah. Okay. Like that. Predestination was not that long ago. Um, Predestination wasn't exactly a gigantic blockbuster movie. I guess. I guess with, it with a, with a with a lot with a lot of. Uh, honestly, though, behind. trying to tell me that the Hardy Boys are you know, more relevant than Heinlein is uh, like laughable. They have like a TV show. I guess, but it's not a popular. You know, it's on CW or whatever. But 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 it's, it, but, still, but it was I more think. mainstream for parents, though. At what yeah. age? At what age? Uh, That's great grandparents, my that. friend. That's great huh? grandparents that are Hardy Boys people. No, yeah, but they kept they kept moving forward with the grand like they just keep moving forward as box sets. I had a box set of Nancy Drew when I was a kid. And that's what I'm saying is is there should be box sets of Heinlein every generation. That like that. Yeah. yeah. Tolkien well, isn't not, more not, relevant sure, because uh, because not, of time has gone sure by. I'm not sure that a publisher wants to take the chance on that not selling. I, I, clearly <laughs> that's cool? yeah. clearly cool? that's yes, what you're saying. Is, I'm not, I'm and that's sure what they're thinking. Thing. That's what you're saying. That's what you're thinking. They're thinking. But that thinking is broken-minded. Like, how expensive is it to license it from the author when you're the estate? It's very cheap. Because <laughs> you're the estate. It's not like there's a person. It's just a a, a legacy organization, right? There's no humans right. involved. It's a corporation, essentially. A corporation. So and the corporation doesn't see the value in doing that for whatever that's reason. That's fucked up because uh, it clearly should be like this should be in people's hands. It will do material good to their minds to have 
these in people's hands and not having them in. Uh, I'm is an audiobook Starbeast fan. Not in print currently. Oh, I'm sure it is, but uh, individually and uh, like one of them. If you want to get the entire Heinlein, you know, fiction, the only way to get it is the Virginia edition from the Heinlein Trust. That is, I think it was fourteen hundred dollars. You know, they're leather covers with no art on them. Apparently, they're riddled with typos, which is not good, um, and they're limited edition. So, it, it, there's this thing. Look, you, that that's. I mean, I guess the estate and trust is seeing Highline as a luxury good, whereas you're seeing it as a potential comic. <laughs> you good. know, like something people want to read rather than like an investment property. Well, I'm. I mean, I mean, publishing is a business, so. I mean, and they're not they, in business, they, they, is what they, I'm saying. I, I'm not sure that they just haven't thought of it as a business case because you know corporations are looking to make money all the time. But I guess they've considered the ROI is not. Oh my god! Um, yeah, so there's a mass market paperback for nine ninety nine. Get four of them together in a nice box set. You'd sell some. Why don't they do that? But but would they sell enough to? justify the cost of doing that that's the question <laughs> they don't think so you think so it's very possible i'm uh, not saying i'm not saying i'm not saying the corporation is right uh, you I'm you're thinking. assuming they don't think so i'm assuming they uh, don't uh, but i don't know that all i know is they're not doing it corporate corp- corporations are try to make money and there's lots of people trying to make money. So clearly someone must have thought of this somewhere in the corporation and got shot down for maybe got shot down for the wrong reasons. You're like, over. You're it, over. I, I think I've I, I think I've solved this problem. Yeah, I uh, um, they need to put it in the public domain so Jesse can release these. And out. everyone can release and make their own well, covers and then have no, those compete on the yeah, open market. Do, right. We already had that discussion. Will on the spot. Gets about That's my point is it, it, you put one. One of these Heinlein juvies in the public domain, it'll sell like hot, ca- like uh, the wheat cakes that uh, Mr. Kiku wants to eat, or maybe like didn't want to cakes. eat. <laughs> oh God! Which uh, which of these books do you want to do next? Even though they're really hard to get, except uh, as eBooks and uh, pirated audiobooks. Um, what are choices? What are the choices? What about Ab Space Suit Will Travel? Isn't that we one of them? One. Yeah, we've done that one. I um, I want to put the case out there for tits. T-I-T-S. What? Yep. Somebody tweeted about it last night and said, I love tits. (laughs) Yeah, I (laughs) I saw you always tweeting about that, Jesse. I do. I I do love tits. But that's not a Heinlein book. It is a book. What? It is. um, uh, Let me just look it up. (laughs) Tunnel in the Sky. Tunnel in the Sky. Oh, Tunnel in the Sky. Tunnel in the Sky. Tits. Okay. Huh. That's the uh, secret on, master of fandom. I was on the fandom. call with Jesse, and he was looking at tits online. Yep. Uh, <laughs> he was dissing Heinlein. <laughs> he was dissing Heinlein and just looking at tits online. And all he does is look at tits. Tits on uh, go Google type in tits and see what comes up. Um, and there's some great tits covers. Tunnel in the sky. I'm, here's my pitch, Misa. Stop pulling your tits. Mm-hmm. Here's my pitch for tits, Misa. <laughs> Um, Tunnel in the Sky is set uh, in a, sort of a graduation ceremony of some, I don't know, kids in a is dystopia. Is that the Stranger on the Planet story? Yes. And okay, I've read this. For their final okay. assignment for graduation, it might be a high school book or something, might be college, they uh, go do a survival training 
Um, and they use a tunnel in the sky, basically a warp. Like a wormhole? Wormhole thing. Um, and they have to survive for 30 days or something like that. Or maybe it's three nights. I can't remember. And then um, something goes wrong and they don't get picked up. So now they're stuck uh, Hunger Games style on Ooh. some planet random. And they're not sure if it's... Maybe, they, maybe they're on Earth somewhere. They're not sure. Um, but I remember it being really good. Um, yes, yes, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yes, let's do that one. Just I so we're clear, it. Paul loves tits. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> no, wait, wait. I can fix this. Paul loves tits. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, l- luckily, I have to go very short. So, so you want so to book some? You get to escape uh, getting lummox triggered. <laughs> yes. Well, the podcast is over. Correct. Uh, ish. Yeah. Ish, um, let's let's finish it then. Yeah, let's just schedule off. the show and then we're done. Or do you, do, yeah. do we need to record scheduling the show? No, 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 no. But um, oh, I forgot to record this, so I hope okay. I got I do. got. It looks like mine's working. Well, and I wasn't here for, for, no for half of it. The sky. That's, that's oh, terrible. um, I want to get Will. Can you uh, before I press stop? Can you say hi? I'm Will. Hi, I'm Will. No, no, like this. Hi, I'm Will. <laughs> Stop Hi, Johnny, I'm Will. Hi, I'm Misa. <laughs> there you Hi, go. I'm Trish. <laughs> Wait, was that by Trish? <laughs> Paul, we need you to do. Hi, I'm Jesse. I mean, I am not doing it. No. <laughs> so everybody else is going to be. Hi, I'm. And Paul's going to be. Hi, I'm Paul. <laughs> That's good. That could be different. Oh, in fact, I'm going to say, Hi, I'm Paul, and that be your voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the, okay. Need to do more of like the Batman voice, like the "Hi, I'm Paul." <laughs> Hi, I'm Paul. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about Boxing Day? Boxing Day. Boxing is, Day. The twenty-sixth. Yeah. Twenty-sixth of December. Ooh. Day yeah. after Xmas. Okay. What a novel day. Yeah. You okay. like it? Yeah. 8 a.m. Probably. Fine. So I'm just going to put tits in my schedule then. Put, put tits on the oh. schedule. I'd be a boob if I didn't put tits oh, on the schedule. Oh, Paul. See, Paul's getting in there. You're excommunicated <laughs> from the island for being so, um, uh, I don't know, gender uh, something y. <laughs> uh huh. What am I, uh, the what am I thinking? Tunnel in the sky. This tits book, it sounds like. Um, um, what's the what's the William Golding book? Oh yeah, Fly. yeah, yeah. Is, is, is it, it like Lord of the Flies? Yeah, a little bit. There, there's there's a good side and a bad side, or there's a uh, kids who disagree about stuff. I don't believe there is a kid's head on a spike or anything oh, like that, oh, though. Oh, oh, although the, although the book I'm, I'm I'm not gonna have time to read that too. The book I'm thinking of too that ties in with this is Alexi Pension's Word of Passage. Oh, I th- think we've done that. Didn't we do that? I, yeah, I, don't know I, if we did I believe that, we did that as a show. You're right. Um, yeah. So let me so, look that so up. It, that was I, a long I mean, time it, ago. It, it, I, I think Pension took. T- I mean, Pension being a Highland scholar looked at Total Sky and said, "I can do that story this yeah, way." I forgot about that book. Um, so right, R I T E of there it is. Jesse, Paul, Marissa, Misa was on that, and oh, Brian. See? See now, wow. uh, for, for extra bonus yeah, well, points, well, what year was that? A wine bomb alien who doesn't would retain. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> wow, you just othered her. Um, yeah, it's so true. <laughs> you're cancelled. Um, <laughs> what year was that? Cancel me. I'm ready. Pa- Paul, what year was that without looking it up? What year was Rite our, of Passage? Our Rite of Passage show. Um, 2018, 2017? Something, something like Misa? that. Misa? Misa doesn't know. I have no idea. She's so traumatized from the othering. It was 2017. <laughs> Okay. March 2017. 2017. 2017. So Who wrote we, it again? Alexi Panshin. Alexi Panshin. Huh. Who, who until Farrah Stone came along was probably the Heinlein scholar. How dare you now, other me again? Always othering Jesse, saying he's not. I'm not othering Jesse. You're, you're treating me like uh, Hiroshi treats a human. Have, have, you, have you written an entire book on Heinlein? I've you done many podcasts on him. Yes, but you haven't written an entire book. So you're saying you're you're privileging books over podcasts. I'm privileging academic (laughs) books on high See, you're privileging academics? Yes, I am. Okay. Anyway, I have to go. Bye, Paul. Jesse, tell him you're an academic. Bye, Paul. I'm not. You went to college for like years. I'm a student. Don't slur me, Misa. A student. Yeah. Trish, you moved. I did. How is it? I am now in Maryland. The weather different? Uh, it's certainly colder up here. The high yesterday was 51 or something like that. Uh, somebody but in I suppose Detroit that's nothing com- to you, Jesse. No, it doesn't mean anything. Um, it means nothing to either of us. <laughs> oh, 51 Fahrenheit. Um, let's see. Hang on just a I second. I think that's cold. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I think 70 is warm. I don't 51 know. Fahrenheit in Celsius. That's 10 at, degrees Canadian. That's warm. That's uh, a bit <laughs> cold. Uh, yeah, I, w- I was at 2 degrees Canadian yesterday. Wow. 36 um, to Chile. somebody who understands real numbers. <laughs> 8 degrees here. That's it for you, yes. Misa. Oh, it's freaking freezing. I don't Is know. Is it below freezing? No, not... not. Oh, it's actually it's 4 degrees. Okay, that's you're... why 10 is warm. Well, yeah, warmer, yeah. For November... Uh, oh, somebody yeah. in Detroit was saying it was snowing. So I can understand your alien words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, they had to get that uh, Singh guy out, right? Uh, guy with an actual turban rather than a guy with uh, snakes for hair that needs a turban. Remember in the book? They call yeah. him up, up yeah. on the phone. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Say you have to come uh, do this because you're the expert on this and get him out of bed. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that guy was... Uh, yeah, I remember that guy. He only shows up for a second, but... Uh, I don't think this would make a very good movie, I don't think. Just because um, there's all, all those sitting around the table negotiations and office and smoking and stuff. But uh, the Star Lemon part... I want to see the self-lighting good. cigarette. Yeah, I figure you scratch it just like a match. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. I'm sure those are really good for you. Is like uh-huh. it can like it, it it can ignite itself. That's, he must have um, been trying to quit smoking or something. I've never seen him smoke so much in a book. Like I don't remember that being a thing at all. Maybe a pipe. Okay. What about what about Greenberg like being like a serious smoker but never having a light? Yeah, he gets one eventually though, a self lighting one or something. Wait, There's so- a whole lot of smoking in um. Um, uh, the HB Pi- HB Piper. Oh yeah, thing. he's a he's a definitely smoke smoke a machine. But 
But that, you know, I, I just read a lot of Heinlein. Not everything, but a lot of Heinlein. And uh, I don't think um, I remember anything like this level of smoking. And I don't remember Heinlein being a smoker in real life. Not that I hung out with him or anything. Um, not that you know of. No, not that I know of. I'm pretty sure that Farrah Mendelssohn book, uh, she's British, I believe. Um, Weird. I know. Uh, is not available as an audiobook. Heinlein. Oh, guys, um, I sent it to Paul, but I didn't send it to everybody else. Um, there was a really interesting podcast about uh, what Paul's always talking about, those puppies. Sad I saw and that rabbit. online. Did you, did you read the or listen to the show? No, I haven't listened to it yet. Oh, I, uh, it's interesting. Because it um, explains a lot. And uh, I don't know who the hosts are, but they seem to have pretty solid heads on their shoulders despite being modern uh, authors. <laughs> um the uh the uh takeaway though was um calling what you know this current crop of uh this current wave of science fiction um was calling it squee core you know there's new wave and there was like uh cyberpunk um and the current sort of style or fad or whatever it is is which you know, nobody's saying, hey, we've got a style or fad. But obviously there is one. Um, calling it squeecore. Why? And, well, um, it has to do with what it's about. Uh, squeecore. I'll type it in here and see if I, I... Yeah. So the name of the podcast is The Painful Threshold. I don't know why it's called that. Um, it's about a current wave of award-based science fiction that's living in the shadow of the, quote, sad and rabid puppies. Among the interesting thoughts here was the name, Squeakor, in which, quote, person or marginalized entity does X, Y, Z, to which the reader says, hells yeah. And I'm like, oh. And then they go on and talk about um, what makes this genre like what it is. And these are the quotes I pulled. Maudlin, mawkish, or glib. And those are not slurs. They're just like talking about how um, ways of emotionally dealing with things. Um, Waden-esque quips, which is very, uh, what's Waden? He's the guy from Firefly? Buffy. Buffy, right. Oh, right. Josh. Well, also Firefly. Yeah, Josh. Jo jo Joss, I think. Joss. And then Joss. Uh, the character that, re oh, this is, <laughs> this is really funny. The character that represents feminism pegs the character that represents the patriarchy. And then emphatic adjectives. I'm like, I think I've read this book. I, I don't know. Uh, it wasn't recently, but I I read a book that was like, oh, yeah, that is actually like kind of the recipe in the same way that, you know, cyberpunk has a recipe and New Wave has a recipe. And it's not obviously every book is identical, but there is kind of like a uh, this is what we're exploring right now. And it goes in waves. And so obviously, if you remember, like, Trish, you probably remember this. Uh, I want to say 15 years ago, there was something like um, remixing um, public domain with, you know, zombies and stuff like that, or vampires. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lincoln, Pride and Prejudice and zombies. Yeah, and Lincoln. And things that came out. Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Where they take, uh, so we're going to have 10 years a slave, but um, 
uh, to the robot queen. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, something. I've got a, a friend of mine is calling me. I got a. Okay. It's have good a good one, Will. You Thank you. Um, Bye, I'm going to message you about Ace Galaxy. I need to catch up with you about that. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I need to take off, too. All right. I'll allow things it. To do. you got things to do. Boxes to unpack. <laughs> Might say you're going to have to stay with me the whole rest of your day. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, Jesse. <laughs> what? What? I believe I, I believe that. I can't say no to you <laughs> once in a while. Um, right, so. But uh, you're saying no for Trish. Thing. Trish, you're saying no for, for Misa. That's very um, something of you. It's very, it's it's very um, Betty of you. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so Betty. <laughs> That's a slur now. So Betty. What, what was the, so Betty. the only thing worse would be whatever John Thomas's mom's name was. Mrs. Well, I mean, Mrs. I would Thomas. prefer to accomplish my goals without manipulation, wow. but she was still a pretty kick-ass character. The mom? No, Betty. Betty's Betty. a great character, absolutely. Betty's a great character. Uh, I would, I would have her as my lawyer. <laughs> yeah. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. So what what are you doing for the rest of the day, Misa? Bye, Trish. Bye. Okay. Other than talking to me for the whole day. <laughs> uh, well, I do have to go too. I'll allow it. Um, but this was fun. I really did like this one. Yeah, it's a good book. Uh, all Heinlein's books are good. There's some, even like Stranger in a Strange Land has good things. It's just too long. I like Stranger in a Strange Land. It's I long. get it. I get it. Uh, I liked it too in a certain sense. I also hated it because it's too long. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it's fun. And it, it's, aren't you going to be sad when you've read your last timeline book? Well, I think I've got quite a ways to go. You do. So, you do. But I'm saying, you know, projecting out. I will be sad. Because there yeah. hasn't been one that, like, you read that and you said, this is, oh, wait, maybe there was one. And she said, there was one. What but was I can't it? remember what it was. Thank <laughs> goodness. It was so horrible. <laughs> that I didn't finish it. I can't remember what it was. I don't, and I and I can't even remember if it was actually Heinlein or somebody maybe, maybe else. It was not. But I think it was him. Ouch! I cut my thumb on the cheese grater the other day. I, yeah. Did you eat part of your thumb then in uh, your in your burrito? Uh, it was for pizza. Oh, yes. of course it was. Yes. Of course it was for pizza. Actually, you know what? That was just cheddar for some, probably for my mom's dogs. She she feeds them like not like dogs. She feeds them good food. Well, sometimes I, I sometimes boil chickens for my cats. Uh, she gives she gives her dogs raw chicken wings, frozen frozen ch- ch- Why? chicken wings. Why? Um, apparently, it's good for them. Raw? Really? Well, uh, if you cook them, the bones become brittle, but um, apparently they're not uh, problematic for uh, for dogs if they're raw, which is I'm well, surprised. There you go. I, she she cares way too much about what's going on 
in dogs' minds and dogs' diets, and she's always reading those those uh, dog training books and stuff like that. Yeah, well, my daughter just got a puppy. Um, it's a Beagle Pomeranian, and um, it's fourteen weeks old now. Wow! And they have not they have not taken that dog outside. Oh, well, no. they're going to start taking that dog out on Monday because they're because they're so worried about Parva. Like they read. Oh yeah, they, my they, mom's puppies right there was i know i know they all i know they all did i know they all did i know it's um but like they are really like it's deadly yeah but you can't live your life indoors well that's the thing that's the thing like just don't take the dog to the dog park no yeah no but they're not but they just won't they when they want to take the dog out they put her in a little bag and carry her around outside. The little so mask. See, there's an outside world. Little vaccination sticker. <laughs> <laughs> see all this world you can't spend time sniffing. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Too so many puppy. Too many puppy blogs. They're they're uh, reading. Did you hear about uh, the reason why um, Fauci might get canceled? Because of what no. he did to the beagles. What did he do? Uh, he gave money to some thing where they cut open the beagles' faces, put their heads <gasps> inside a, uh, a little fly sort of catcher thing, uh, and then um, uh, and then um, when the beagles were, of course, being upset, making noises about how they uh, they don't like being eaten alive by these flies. Um, they cut the vocal cords so that the dogs wouldn't make noise. Get out! Is that real? Yep. And see, not the not the possibly causing the COVID in the first place. That's not the reason he's going to get canceled. It's because he's funding dog torture. Right. <laughs> it's like holy well, fuck. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll see if it happens though. I don't. Uh, he's weathered a week or so of maybe two weeks of this now. Hmm. But it's if we have a how cute was it in this book, Misa, when we find out what the what the aliens sound like in their native language? They sound like this. (laughs) Just little puppy noises, right? (laughs) I mean, how could you be upset with aliens that were? Well, it makes you rethink your whole life. It sure it? does, yeah. <laughs> it might not mind being a pet. <laughs> just... No, I spent a lot of time thinking it would be much much easier to be my dog than to be myself. Oh my so... god, you got so many responsibilities. <laughs> right. Right. Everything's on your head. You have to. It's like being a parent, but it never ends, and uh, and nobody else cares about your pet you know there's no laws respecting your pet so you have to be your pet's advocate exactly and and they never it's like it's actually like having a kid who's like mentally fucked up right because they're never going to be able to you know walk the streets alone on their own and be safe Mm -hmm. and just get run over by cars yep yep it is no no hands to open. That's what I'm saying. If my mom's dog had hands, things would be very very different, right? She spends most of her day 
Uh, she just talks about how many steps she takes because she has to get up and open the door and let dogs in and make sure dogs need to come How many in. dogs are there? There's four. It's oh. too many. But <laughs> it's too many. <laughs> it's too many. <laughs> <laughs> and so she they're spends. Dogs. No, they're all big now, except for the littlest one is still got a little bit of growth left. But that just like the number of times she gets up to let them out and l- get them in and, you know, amount of sleep she loses in the night catering to their needs if they just had one hand that could open and close doors and they could That's listen right. and say lock the door behind you or you know don't leave the door open <laughs> come in well siri just needs to speak dog and then it can do and then the house can do it for her yes i get a smart smart caller and the smart caller can That's right a, t- a smart telepathic caller uh, We're not far. Well, the tele- te- telepathic part's not so good, but <laughs> I mean, that's far away, but I don't know. All right, I'll let you go do your business. Okay. Um, okay, so, the, so Boxing Day then. Boxing Day is the next um, one I've scheduled for, but I will tell you what else is on there. Uh, we're doing What is Horror next week. That's uh, Stephen King homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert E. Howard, you're not a huge fan. Something no. called Klim's Journey Underground by Baron von Ludwig Holberg. Uh, there's an audiobook on LibriVox. The Midwich Cuckoos, you might be in for that. You like John oh, Wyndham? I love John Wyndham. When that's, are you doing that? That's on a Saturday at 8 a.m. Saturday, a Saturday at 8 a.m.? On what 12 Saturday? 11. 12 11, no, mm-hmm. December 11th? Mm-hmm. It's not super long, I don't think. I've got a <sighs> paperback copy of it here actually i really do love him I'd, I'd like to be on that one yeah there might be some okay i'll add you there might be some extra homework um optional of course uh <laughs> I'm typing in john window for your name <laughs> there we go um i believe there are two versions of a movie called Pris- uh children of the damned yeah i believe those are both adaptations of the midwich cuckoos um, Are they really? Yeah, and I believe one of them is by John Carpenter. <gasps> yeah. How exciting. It is exciting. Um, and I've never seen either of them, I don't think. Adaptations. Okay, so Village of the Damned, 1960. Oh, there's a sequel called Children of the Damned. Um, there was a 1981 remake. Uh, I don't see the name there. Uh, 1995, John Carpenter, mm. and a Thai movie, localized. Really? From 94, wow. Oh, novel is being adapted into an eight-part series on Sky One in 2022. <sighs> I guess we'll be prepped for that, huh? We sure will. Okay, so what time on Saturday? That's 8 a.m., so same Normal time, but on a Saturday morning. Okay? So 11 then. No. Uh, yeah, three hours later for you, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what time is there now? 11.46? 12. Okay, yeah. So we've got, I've got 9.46, so you're three hours later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Cool. I'll put you on there, and I'll get you the audiobook a uh, week or so before. Fabulous. Thank you. Are you going to start doing a lot of John Wyndham? Um, now that now that we realize he's public domain in Canada, well, um, we'll see. Uh, there are, he wrote a lot, and I'd like to do a lot, but 
a lot of the ones that uh like I'd like to do the chrysalids. Yeah. Um it's a really good book. Um getting the audiobook and all that organized. Um yeah, is I it, mean are, th- are those not available? Um, is, this, is not on audio? I assume he is. I I'm sure I can find the Medwitch Cuckoos. I assumed I looked it up before. Audible. Let's see if they have. You must have. Otherwise, why would you put on the? Uh, you know, there's. It's such a famous one. Uh, there's an audio drama. Wow. Um, I think there will be an old, um, one on a pirate website mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> if not, huh? Let's just type in John Wyndham. I just assumed. I guess I don't know. Oh, the chrysalids is there. Mm-hmm. Midwich Cuckoos is oh Stephen Fry wow what wow are we gonna have that much fun well, I don't know there's also another one there um, by Noah Reed but I'm interested in that Stephen Fry one he's a good narrator yeah. Chalky yeah. Uh, which I've not read no I haven't oh there's one I put up uh, uh, Time Stops Today by John Wyndham one hour 51 minutes read by Mike Vendetti Oh, and uh, the Kraken Wakes. I do, I I don't really. I've not read that one, but I heard an audio drama, and I didn't quite follow it. Not sure mm-hmm. why. So, there's at least a uh, you know a number of his famous ones are available. It looks like there's two versions, and I'll be excited to hear those. As will I. Oh, eleven twenty-five. It's coming out this month, Misa. What? Jesse, what kind of so. timing is this? I think so. Uh, oh, yeah, not read, not yet rated. Wow, that is crazy timing. Weird. Mm. Let's. Is there a, no? There's no sample. Is that well? Eleven twenty-five. So next next week. Mm-hmm. I I hope that it'll be available on my pirate website. Um, if it's not, I might have to buy it. I don't want to do that. What? <laughs> I don't want to give Audible and Jeff Bezos money. How dare they? Yeah, the fucker. Fuck him. Chop his head off. Fuck him. Fuck you. Snip. There he goes. No ice cream for you. <laughs> Bezos gets ice cream in the lineup. You don't. <laughs> he seems to be pretty monstrous. Uh, he does. Right? I mean, uh, he's trying to gain my sympathy by giving uh, Captain Kirk a ride to space. It's all bullshit. Uh, he gave him a ride to space. I think that's good. But it's not enough. You've got to do a lot more. Yeah. Save that's your just fucking PR. head. Doing a little PR things does not change. Not that. Uh, you know, it was a very nice move on his part. Smart. But not enough. No. Not no, even no. close. Got to do that times like a couple billion at least. Six billion would be better. Seven billion. Then then exactly. we might be able to let you slide for a while before we chop your mm-hmm. fucking head off. Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm not really mad about it. The fucking is just for emphasis. I'm just saying his head needs to go as a lesson to the others. Start, well, with, start with him. He needs to actually demonstrate that he cares about the other six billion. Oh, but by acting, not just saying it, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Give all kinds of nice speeches after you go into space. It's bullshit. Yeah. 
unless you do something. He actually, his speeches aren't actually that good either. He's very out of touch. Well, you know, but whatever. Uh, you know, Elon Musk is at least entertaining. He makes jokes and is kind of mean on Twitter, and those are those are fun, fun and funny things. But he's going to have to go too, unless unless uh, you know he gets the he gets the last one from right. same, from same Bezos, <laughs> and and he does get ice cream in the lineup. We can afford him that while he's waiting for the head chopper. Okay. All right, we agree, yeah. <laughs> and so it shall be done. I, and I agree with. I actually do agree with your transgender thing. I like. I, it. I agree. I mean, how how is it? Obviously, it's not supported by the uh, <laughs> the text at some point saying, "And she said to me," and by that river, yeah, she no, was, but, no, but no, but it no. kind of fits good, good the. Call. Uh, good, it's good interesting. Ca- good. It's it's what it's what happens when you're really listening to what the author's saying. I think. Hmm. Hmm. And those, uh, yeah, and, and surround and, and its surroundings because it wasn't just that minute, it, it was the whole thing mm-hmm. that, uh, that brought it there, right? And obviously, it need not be that Heinlein was planning that, it could be this subconscious stuff, um, uh-huh. or maybe he wasn't planning it at all and it wasn't subconscious, but it still fits, which but is it I'm does fine still with. fit, yeah. yeah. And it, uh, it's an interesting point to think about and, and hold on to. I, so. I'm really enjoying these uh, Star Trek write-up things I'm doing. The um, you are going so deep, Jesse. Uh, lots of typos I noticed, and looking back over, like, oh, that's that doesn't quite make sense, and because I'm trying to fit it into a tweet, you know. So yeah. I'm not as careful, and I'm also trying to watch it in semi-real time, which is difficult. So it's not. Um, it's. There's some, not every episode is good to talk about, but I'm, you know, liking even the ones that are pretty bad episodes a lot more by looking at, like, through. did yeah. you see the one about the eggs? The eggs with the infinity symbol? No. Uh, this is, um, I don't know, was it yesterday? No, two days ago, I think it was. So it's the Space Hippies one. Yeah, that's one of the worst episodes. But so I, no, I didn't read it. Okay, so one of the things I noticed was um, right above the uh, in the same spot. You know, they don't wear uniforms; they're hippies. They're all tie dye and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Barefoot yeah. and tie dye. Um, but I noticed they actually do have something that unifies them, other than having you know a paint face paint or something, right? Um, they all have a egg. Uh, like f- sort of fuzzy egg pinned to their shirt. Oh yeah. And on the egg, there's the white, and then there's the yolk. But if you look very closely, which I do, um, there's an uh, infinity symbol in the uh, yolk. Mm-hmm. And it's never mentioned in the entire episode. They never mention it. They never talk about it. It's just a piece of clothing that unites them, right? Yeah. Um, and th- so. It's kind of interesting that they put that in there, and I compared it a little bit to the book we're putting out, uh, or I'm putting out tonight at uh, midnight, um, called uh, To Live Forever, which mm-hmm. is about um, a society where you, basically it's like our society, You, uh, it's a Jack Vance novel, where uh, mm-hmm. if you are successful, you get to have live forever by having... Uh, good healthcare. <laughs> oh, really? And I compared it a lot to uh, an episode of Voyager called Critical Care, which is uh, 
uh, not a great episode of Voyager, but it's interesting because it's about the American healthcare system, how rich people get the good treatment and poor people get no treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, except it's on an alien planet, right? Um, so in this uh, future Earth, this um, future Earth with only one city, everybody's working for quote unquote slope, S L O P E, yeah. which is like yeah. their ability to uh, be productive. So if you're yeah. like Jeff Bezos and super productive, you get massive amounts of slope, and that gives you access to um, uh, upgrades in society like uh, life extension. And at the final level of life extension, you get a clone of you made, and right. you have your your brain's memories transferred into it, and you you keep going and go- keep going and keep going with that training until you fully empathize with your clone. Yeah. And then it becomes you. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And what what this um what you don't remember and I didn't remember from that Space Hippies episode other yeah. than actually it has a really good ending um is that the reason these Space Hippies are rebelling is because they don't like the Federation. They think okay. it's too regimented and too stuffy, and they're all like back to the land. And what you don't remember from that that episode is space hippies are all like um, scientists and uh, doctors and uh, ex Starfleet uh, people. No, I didn't remember that. Right, uh, it's just space hippies, right? So yeah, um, and they're following a guy who has a. A disease caused by their sterilized society. Yes, that I remember. Yeah, and then he's, they're saying he, uh, um, uh, Spock is like really into them. <laughs> he's interested <laughs> in them. He does some space jamming with them, with his yeah. space harp. And, uh, and yet he concludes that the, their leader is insane. But at mm-hmm. the end of the episode, he doesn't say, um, you know, you guys all failed. Uh, he says, keep looking for Eden. And uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Kirk doesn't get he doesn't get these space hippies. You know he's a fuddy old fuddy old duddy. Whereas Spock right, is like he wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't. Uh, they're making fun of. They're like the people who make fun of William Shatner, right? Yeah, he's very easy to make fun of. And they call him Herbert and blah blah blah. It's a very uh, uh, aggressive show towards its own show in a certain mm-hmm. sense. And then at the end. Um, they use all these phrases just like uh, Heinlein does, grok, you know, like that. They don't yeah. use grok, but... They don't use, yeah. No, they use, uh, that really reaches me, man. <laughs> 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 you have a whole bunch of them. They're all really good. Um, and the end of the episode, Kirk says, uh, we reach. Uh, Mr. Oh. Spock, we reach. And so he's like, he's he's sort of connecting with these space hippies. Yeah, I mean, maybe we should watch it. I, it's so interesting, like, that even the crappy old episode of Star Trek, where you think, oh my god, the space hippies episode. It's actually pretty interesting. Yeah. And uh, uh, the one before that, uh, you probably saw, there was a uh, lady from India doing the uh, Sulu's job. I don't know. I saw the picture. I saw one picture yeah. about that. It, 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 they never mention her being from India. They just know she's got the bindi on her forehead, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the whole thing. It's, oh, like, that's really interesting. They, the, he's still pushing that everybody's is a United Nations of Space sort of thing. I really, uh, 
I dig old Star Trek mice, except when they're he's they're doing space cops, <laughs> which that the hippie one is. They're space cops in that one as well. Kirk yeah. is pulling over the hippie bus full of hippies <laughs> and saying, mm-hmm. "You stole that spaceship," and they're like, "Yeah, but it's okay." <laughs> yeah. So yeah, definitely worth a watch. It's on Netflix, but uh, I don't. Uh, maybe they're pulling it off soon i'm not sure i think they're going to be pulling it off soon i've been watching them too but i but i uh but i got distracted by something i can't remember Mm. i'll go back and finish them before they actually i have all the dvds anyway oh do you yeah i never put in a dvd anymore i I rarely do either but i but but i do have them if i need to i can watch them on dvd yeah yeah i'm thinking uh downloading the whole set i don't know I'll, i'll finish it on on uh, it might be that they're they're only pulling stuff for um, Paramount Plus, and that might not be in Canada anymore, or might not be in Canada at all. I don't know. You don't have. But to I do. did hear they were going to pull them out. So yeah, but that might only be for the states, right? Right. Where, where they're competing, which is what most people would be talking about. Did you see the new Star Trek Prodigy thing? No, I haven't watched it. Have you? No, no. I people are saying it's good, but I can't believe that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna have a look. Yeah, but um, I'm. I don't know. It seems wrong in many ways, like having it, a it very <laughs> children. Like it's Teletubby Star Trek is what I was imagining. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, not high pitch enough for me. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, um, it does have Janeway, and apparently she, she's um, good. Yeah, on the show, but I just don't believe. I don't believe it can be good. Well, I guess I'll watch an episode and, and report yeah, back. Yeah, let me know. And uh, and uh, mm-hmm. dig deep. Don't just dig off from the surface. Uh, I can, I'll those... never dig as deep as you. Yeah, you have to but, look for uh, their little egg on the uniform and yeah. <laughs> notice for the first time in your life that it has a little green infinity symbol on it. Like, yeah. no, I never hear anybody talking about that stuff. That's the most interesting thing I've ever seen. You know, mm. like some somebody in the costume department was told you need to add this to all their funny costumes, right? Yeah. As a because they don't have it feels like they don't have that much time to tell a story, but it's like f- 50 minutes long, right? Yeah. Whereas a modern Star Trek uh I don't think they're that long. I think they're only No, 20, they're not. 40, they're like 40 42 minutes something, something. Like, Yeah. Yeah. No, you're doing good work going deep. Lord's work. You're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> where's my <laughs> where's my accolades, Paul? <laughs> don't know. I'll never measure up. It's okay. <laughs> I don't want your fucking awards, anyways. <sighs> All right. Well, excellent, excellent day to you. <laughs> you too, Lisa. Okay. Talk Ciao. to you on Twitter. Okay, bye. Bye. I have to well, remember that. I have to remember it. Um, I have business, but I don't. Ah, uh, Marissa. That's what it was, Marissa. I um. I hadn't heard from her in a while, and I know she's been busy, but she should have had enough time to settle in Vermont. So I, I told her that I had a piece of uh, something on my desk for like a couple years, and I thought maybe we could finally deal. With it. <laughs> Literally on my oh yeah, my desk is deep with papers, um, and it was the Pre Persons by Philip K. Dick, and I know she's. Uh, hard to get so i asked her when would be good 
for the pre-persons, mm-hmm. which is a, like an hour-long Philip uh, K. Dick story um, uh, about abortion. <laughs> Ouch! Really? Wow. Ouch, my thumb. Um, yes, and I asked her uh, if the 19th, December 19th, would be okay. Um, and she said, yes, looks open. So um, now's your time to book, Paul. I know you're Thanks. a Philip K. Dickhead. Yes, of course I want to be on this podcast. So, um, As you pointed out in a tweet some time ago, I done more Philip K. Dick on this podcast than any other author. Oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense, right? Because he comes up a lot. Comes um, up a lot. So, the 19th is a Sunday. So, I'm assuming 8 a.m. is okay for you? Yes. Alright. And it's the pre-persons. Oops. Um, I believe the plot is something like um, uh, some court rules that uh, abortion is legal. Um, uh, until a certain spirit enters the body or something like that, right? Um, but that, uh, figure is like, uh, age 18 or something. Some kid wants to get aborted. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how to react to this. Well, I feel, I feel uncomfortable. Uh, it's okay, Paul. You're past the age of abortion. Uh, Jesse, Paul. I don't know. Did they just did they come to a conclusion? <laughs> I could dig it out, but I. I no, oh. it's okay. You didn't have to. Oh, I got it. Um, uh, past the grove of cypress trees. Hey, that's a very philokinetic opening. And how does it end? There was nothing left to say. Wow, impressive. It's it's Philip K. Dick's dissertation on why abortion is wrong. Oh boy. Ah. This is going to be interesting. It's going to be lit. Evan, question mark. I will confirm with him that it will work. Probably won't. I don't know. I mean, maybe it will. We'll see. I also added uh, Caleb Williams, um, a novel subtitled Or Things As They Are by uh, William Godwin. And that is book i've not read but um brian alexander's favorite book and i was like what's this brian alexander's favorite book yeah so um i i saw that on twitter i'm like oh i like gothic novels um and william godwin was i think uh the daddy to uh uh mary shelley so that might be interesting uh january 2nd 2022 it's in the future, my son. <laughs> Time keeps on slipping. 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 <laughs> the Paul uh, Sings the Classics podcast <laughs> is coming. Yeah. Number of subscribers is an imaginary number a number. <laughs> Somebody puts a gun to Paul's head and says, Sing it! Sing it, Paul! And he has to remember the lyrics. <laughs> and if he doesn't if he doesn't remember fast enough, um he has to fill in with his own uh ska. <laughs> oh dear God. What in the world is this? I wound up in a weird world now. Okay. So there's that. And then um I believe I want to talk about uh the next Heinlein, because I got some ideas, but I think we should probably save that for the. Yeah, we for the probably end. should actually just do this podcast before the 
before we talk about the next timeline because it might influence our dis- our dis- decisions. Indeed, good point. Um, so I don't see any wills popping up here. Yeah, tick tock, tick tock. Chill, bud. We got two and a half hours. I know, but we I know do? how we. I know how we can <laughs> talk and talk. We we don't have two and a half hours. We have two hours and fifteen minutes. Oh my god, the pressure! Oh my gosh. Um, given how we can gab and gab and gab, uh, I know I'm, I'm I'm keeping us on task. Thank you, Paul. I may, that, I may be a, a song? pub player, but <laughs> keeping us on task. Is that a song too? Keeping no. us on task. It is, it is not a song. It's prob- I'm, pro- I'm pretty sure it is. It's like a, from a game show in the 1960s. <clears throat> Sorry, thank you for playing. Where somebody pulls out a gun and points it at one of the players' heads and says, Sing it! Sing that song! Um, that's a, That sounds like something Move along from home, Jesse. <laughs> it's, it's long what? I said move along home, Jesse. <laughs> that sounds, uh, that's a that's, reference. That sounds like something. Uh, that's the Deep Space Nine reference. That's from Deep Space Nine, one of the worst episodes. Yeah, that is a bad episode. Now that I think about it, it's a first season episode, and it doesn't quite work. It's yeah, it, I think it's. I, I don't know if I wrote about that one, but I think that one is based on something else as well. Um, it is a very uh, science fiction sto- short story sort of idea. Um, aliens put people through their paces. Um, as a way of communicating or some stupid thing like that. But maybe it's just another Star Trek episode that I like it. Maybe it's a, based on a next generation episode. It's hard, it's hard to remember. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start a recorder. You recording? Um, why is it not popping up? All right. I think we're good here. Um, Oh, I'll get the Wikipedia entry out. Uh, that's not the Wikipedia entry, Jesse. Star Beast. Alright, that should do it. Here we go. Uh, so, Jesse, Paul, um, Misa? Trish? What say, sure. Paul? Is that correct? I'm gonna check. No, um, don't. They'll waste an hour. <laughs> no, I, I have it. I have it on the spreadsheet. Yes, Jesse Paul, my sister. All right, here we go.